Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Couple of minutes past nine on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for you today. Happy Friday. Hope it's going well for you. We've got a whole bunch coming up today. Shortly, Hamish Stewart. He is a rugby writer working for Talk Sport. He's covering the All Blacks Wales game this weekend. He's going to come on. We're going to talk the All Blacks. We're also going to talk that Welsh team as well. Some interesting moves being made there and some new Welsh talent to keep an eye on as well. We'll get the lowdown on who you should be looking out for from uh, the Red Dragon side of things uh, just in just a moment. Also, we're going to be taking your calls after 9.30. We'll do some talkback. We'll go through the Kiwis team to play their quarterfinal against Fiji. We'll talk that All Blacks team. We'll talk the Cricket World Cup as well. And anything else you want to cover, we'll do that from 9.30. And uh, of course, quarter of the month could win an Oklahoma Joe's Blackjack Charcoal Kettle Grill thanks to Ava Living. So get yourself in the draw for that. After 10 o'clock, Scotty Hales. He is the coach of Miramar Rangers in our National League. Uh, the Football Ferns are going to play the US women's team here in January and uh, one of those games is in Wellington. We'll talk to Scott about that but also talk about the Champions League. It's all wrapped up ahead of the FIFA World Cup now. What did we learn and uh, the impact that this is having on teams. Looks like Ben Chilwell, Reese James, uh, both out for England and for Chelsea for uh, until the, after the World Cup. Uh, some big blows there, some big personnel missing uh, for a lot of big teams heading into the World Cup because of the amount of games they're having to play in a short period of time to fit a mid-season World Cup in. After 10.30, Susan McFadden, the editor of our Locker Room, is going to join us. We're going to talk the Women's Rugby World Cup and that massive semi-final clash between the Black Ferns and the French at Eden Park. We'll catch up with Louis Herman Watt as well for a love racing update. After 11, Scotty Sattler, rugby league commentator, SEN host, of course, uh, former kangaroo himself and state of origin legend, is going to talk rugby league World Cup quarterfinals with him. We'll catch up with Sarah Clausen from the uh, Christchurch Greyhound Racing Club as well. You get a chat to her and maybe get some tips for the weekend. We've got a stumped, another $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. And before we finish it all, Mick Guerin is going to join us to talk some harness racing and we'll get staff in as well. So all of that and more coming your way right here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Joining us now out of the UK is Hamish Stewart. He is covering the test between Wales and the All Blacks for Talk Sport. Uh, good evening to you, Hamish. Your time. Good morning, out on. How are you? <laughs> yeah, good evening. Good morning. Mate, uh, I have to say, we've been getting used to the time changes over the Women's World Cup because obviously we've been following it. So. There's been a lot of good evening, good mornings going on. <laughs> well, mate, it's uh, you know it's good that you know uh, as Jamie Wall, who's a rugby writer from down this way, who's up your way, uh, tweeted today. You know, I, I I think all the Rugby World Cup uh, kickoff time should be changed now that I'm in the Northern Hemisphere because it's just it's, it's just not working for me. But uh, down here, that's just that's part of life with so many tournaments taking place in the Northern Hemisphere. It is a bit, I suppose. Yeah. Now, uh, how how how's the vibe in Wales at the moment ahead of this test? Because, I mean, this All Blacks team hasn't been going great in the last year or so. Uh, but very close to having a coaching change, and uh, there's certainly been a lot of conjecture about Ian Foster's reign. That feels like, particularly after the Irish have done what they've done, what the Argentinians have done, that if you're the Welsh, you must be thinking, 
Well, first win since 53 could be on the cards here. What's the vibe like in Wales? Well, they've been asked that question an awful lot, mostly. But, uh, but, yeah, you're right. If something for the uh, referee at the end of the All Blacks um, Australia game, then New Zealand would have a 50% record this season, which you know just isn't what we expect from them. So the question has been asked at every press conference, is this the best chance to win for a long, long time? There was you know, the infamous 78 game, possibly 2004, Wales came within a point uh, as previous times when they could have ended that 69-year hoodoo. But apart from those, you feel New Zealand have seldom come looking more vulnerable. But every time you ask that question in the press conference, the Wales coaches, players all say, oh, yeah, but they won the championship. They're a different team. They've changed the backroom setup a bit. Ian Foster might be there, but it's different in the support group around him. Not that there's criticism of Ian Foster, obviously a very experienced coach. And they say, well, yeah, it's a different team maybe to the one that Ireland beat and Argentina beat. And since then, they've been on a, a bit of a roll in a different team as well to the one that uh, struggled to beat Japan at the weekend. So amongst the fans, there's maybe a little bit of a feeling that this could finally be the time. And I suspect behind closed doors there is in the Wales team as well, but they're certainly not saying that in public. No, I suppose it's uh, just, uh, you know, you don't want to put that sort of pressure on yourself. What I mean, you've had a, a series of Kiwi coaches uh, with the Welsh team over the last sort of 20 years or so. How is Wayne Pivak measuring up? Are, are Welsh rugby fans happy with what they're seeing from Pivak? I think it's strange because it swings quite violently from one extreme to another. So, he came in, they weren't very successful, the knives had been sharpened. Then they won the Six Nations Championship and they came within a, a minute or two of winning the Grand Slam and he's the greatest coach since sliced bread. And then they're struggling a little bit again. They lost to Italy at home in the Six Nations last year and the knives are again being sharpened. They're going to South Africa, everybody's working out with the longest losing streak of games. And then, of course, they win a test in South Africa for the first ever time and come within a whisker of winning the first and second test and therefore winning the series. So suddenly everybody's on the up again. So there doesn't seem to be an okay season under Wayne Pivak. They're either achieving remarkable things or struggling a little bit and injuries and there are all sorts of factors that can go into the into the lows. So he would certainly point towards the highs. So at the moment, I think on the back of South Africa, people are generally feeling pretty good. As ever, this November series will will they take the mood again, of course, because uh, the World Cup's a year away and already people are asking questions. Will he carry on after the World Cup? Will that will that be the end? But I don't think there's any questions he'll take Wales through to the World Cup. And so, yeah, there's a year to, to return to those highs, maybe. It's going to be interesting to see if he makes the World Cup. Uh, I'm not talking about Wayne Pivak, talking about Alan Wynne Jones. We're not used to seeing him wearing the 19 jersey. He is 37, he'll be 38 come the World Cup. Uh, any sign of him slowing down? I think he's very much got that target of the World Cup in mind. I, I can't believe he'd go on past that, but I'd also be very, very surprised if he stopped before that. I think he's going to have to get used to that 19 shirt. I don't think, well, he's clearly not the force he used to be and in Adam Beard and Will Rowlands are two big men who are just quite simply playing better than Alan jones at the moment but he's keeping his nose in front of uh, any other rivals he's a fairly clear distance ahead of them and I think he will well, no he will absolutely be targeting you know that World Cup all the all the records that come with it although he denied personal glory being you know one of his uh, targets and in training he's still the one running around, he's still the one sort of getting from A to B fastest in between 
you know, moves and practice, you know, sort of right shape up over, form up over them on the far side. He's the one who'll get there first. So he's still showing every single determination. But yeah, I think he's, I think he, yeah, barring injuries, I think he's going to have to get used to that 19 shirt for a while. Uh, some interesting calls that have had to be made uh, by Pivac ahead of this test. No Dan Bigger, of course, he's injured. Uh, so I, I guess it was a it was a choice between Reese Priestland and Gareth Anscombe. He's opted with Anscombe. Um, I would have thought most of the Welsh fans would have wanted Priestland in. Is there a bit of uh, maybe not quite nepotism, but <laughs> something close to it being a couple of Kiwis there uh, in that selection? I don't think it's nepotism, but... It- it maybe is based on a bit of loyalty from the summer more than anything else. Because if you remember that historic win over South Africa, Dan Bigger started the game, but Gareth Anscombe came on, played a crucial part in, in Wales's comeback towards the end, and of course nailed a touchline conversion to allow them to win by a point. So he's a bit more of a known quantity. Wiss Priestland's been playing over in, in England, not, not available for a long time. And he came back, he's been playing at Cardiff generally playing fullback this season. He's only had a, a one or two games at outside half, one of which was very, very, very impressive. And as you say, I think the uh, Welsh fans, well, they did a they did a poll in one of the Welsh papers and, and he was the one who came out on top, I think largely based on that one game. So I think it's more track record over the summer because Hanscom hasn't played all that much this season. He's had some niggly injuries going on, but uh, a bit of loyalty maybe for delivering that historic win in, uh, in South Africa over the summer. Now, there's a, a new name in this Welsh team, and uh, I, I've ha- had a bit of a read of some of the Welsh papers and the uh, walesonline.co.nz had a good article on him as well. Rio Dyer is the new Cardiff flyer. He has been named on the wing, on the left wing for this game. Can you tell us a bit about Rio Dyer? What type of winger is he? What can we expect? He's quite an interesting player. He's obviously very young, and this is uh, this wouldn't have he wouldn't have been picked if it weren't for certainly the injury to Josh Adams, almost certainly the injury to Alex Cuthbert as well. But he trained for the Wales squad before they went out to South Africa, so he's come through the age grade. They're obviously aware of him, and then he started this season with the Dragons really, really well. He is very, very, very fast. So the debate in Wales is. Who's the fastest? There are a few players not in the squad. Louis Rees-Samet on the other wing you know, is renowned for his pace. But there's a sneaky feeling that Rio Dyer may be even slightly quicker, especially over 40 yards than Louis Rees-Samet. But he's also, there are a few of those players who are very, very quick, but also very slight. He's a little bit more solid and he's, quite, and he's good off both feet. He's got a lot of, uh, a lot of pace to go with his uh, elusiveness. So he's had a very good start to the season. He scored some tries for the Dragons that... Not many people would have scored, picking some good lines. The question marks will, of course, at his uh, experience levels, be about his defence. And we'll find out a, a lot more about that. But certainly, the, and the All Blacks might find they can go through him. He's not the tallest of men, but he is quite solidly built. And they certainly won't be able to go around him. He's going to have his work cut out, of course. He's going to be basically uh, marking uh, Sevu Reese, isn't he? He's got a decent leap and has got quite a bit of uh, toe, as we like to say over here. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, I noticed that Wayne Pivak was talking about, uh, well, was asked about George North and whether he was uh, tempted to put him back on the wing. He said no. Uh, how is the George North at centre experiment or transition going, do you think? How's, how's that working? Is he looking like an international centre to you? Yeah, I like him at I like him at thirteen. I think that's that's definitely his position. I was very very disappointed when he got injured before the Lions tour to South Africa, um, you know, last summer, 
because uh, I think he'd have been a real force in, in that. He'd a very good Six Nations in the year that Wales won the uh, won the Six Nations, and as I say, nearly got the Grand Slam. He looked really good in that position. We know he's very he's big, he's very quick, but he's also got nice hands. And a few of the tries they scored in that Six Nations campaign came through his distribution. But of course, teams can't avoid him and just cover outside because if you give him any space, he'll go through himself. So he's he's had a lot of injury since. That's why he maybe hasn't come come through that much. He played 13 in South Africa. But South Africa is a, a tough place for the backs to really get into the game of South Africa. You know, the forwards are on their game, so to speak. But yeah, I, I think he's a very, very exciting 13 and has the potential. You know, if he gets a bit of a run and a bit of ball, I think he has the potential to be you know, certainly up there in the British Isles is, is fairly comfortably the best 13 around. Having watched the All Blacks this season, uh, where do you think Wales can hurt them? I think they'll try and take them on up front. I know the All Blacks uh, maybe have got a bit more steel uh, there than, than they did against Ireland. But I think having come through the South Africa experience in the summer, Wales have kept some of the less heralded players up front who performed very solidly stood up to the South African pack. So they've got a pretty big front five and, and a you know, fairly strong back row. So all games start up front, don't they? But I don't think Wales are under any illusions that they're going to run rings around the uh, All Blacks back line. You know, the, the two Barrett's, Severus, as you mentioned, you know, you can go through all the names. So they'll, they'll try and attack and they've got a lot of pace out wide but I think it's up front that they'll feel they can maybe get a bit of a stranglehold. And the area they're talking about, like any game of rugby, is the breakdown. So they picked two open sides, effectively, Justin Tipperick, the captain, moving to six. Felipe Falatau back at eight. So if they can slow the All Blacks ball down at the breakdown and you know protect their own ball, the route of any game and easier said than done. But I think that'll be the, the key areas that they'll, they'll focus on and target. Uh, from a, a, a Welsh point of view, this time last year, we uh, the All Blacks played Wales, but it was a Wales team that was under strength because of the timing, it was just outside of the international window. How much more confident this year are you than you were last year? Yeah, I'm more confident, definitely. I mean, that was not a very good performance, and there are a whole host of factors. One, they didn't have any of the uh, players uh, based in England, as you say. Also, the likes of Gareth Anscombe have been out. So he started at 10 because Dan Bigger wasn't available. He'd been out for a long time. He's feeling his way back in. First minute of the game, he gives away an interception. So key players in key positions weren't particularly informed this time last year. So the All Blacks scored 50 points, obviously, and, and ran away very comfortable winners. But I think Wales will definitely feel they're in a different place. But against that, it, does, it doesn't help when it's outside the international window, but it almost doesn't matter. Wales always play quite badly in the first game of the November series and they generally come through and they win the last one no matter who it seems to be against Australia South Africa obviously not New Zealand um, so there is that if they were playing New Zealand second or third they'd be a lot more comfortable just because they do tend to get better as the international series goes on just because the regions are playing so badly they're they're all you know knocking around in the middle or bottom half of the table they're not coming into the camp with any great form or confidence and they seem to have to pick that up as they go so whether it's inside or outside the international window Wales do start slowly and they've got to try and find a solution to that if they're going to challenge the All Blacks 
the Welsh program for this northern tour is, uh, as as we call it here, the November series. Um, for you, what's the what do you think's a path mark for Wayne Pivak? Uh, you know, sort of come December. I think they'd forgive him for losing this one. He can hardly have a go at a Wales coach for losing to New Zealand. There've been an awful lot, awful lot of fails over the years, and that was the uh, the bar on which they had to to get over. There'll be expectations of beating Argentina, Georgia, and Australia in the last three games. So, if they drop any one of those, I think there'll be a bit of disappointment. Certainly. Yeah, good stuff, Hamish. Thanks very much for coming on and having a chat, mate. And uh, hope you enjoy that test match and uh, keep up the good work covering that for Talk Sport. Thank you very much. Yeah, we we'll look forward to it. Yeah, cheers, Hamish Stewart. There, out of Wales, uh, talking that Wales Ireland, uh, Wales New Zealand clash, I should say, with the Irish A playing All Blacks fifteen as well this weekend. TAB has New Zealand uh, at a dollar thirty to beat Wales, are paying three sixty. The draw at twenty one dollars. And if you look at the uh, the market for the points margins, then uh, you know the. Favoured is still New Zealand to win by thirteen plus at a dollar ninety. New Zealand one to twelve two eighty. Wales one to twelve five dollars. Wales thirteen plus is twelve. The draw is paying twenty ones. Um, and for the All Blacks uh, fifteen, or as I think it was Dave from Adamata dubbed them yesterday, the Alpha Possums because he doesn't like calling them the uh, the All Black fifteen. Uh, the Alpha Possums are a dollar sixty seven favourites to beat uh, the Irish Wolfhounds, who are paying two twenty, and. The draw in that game is also paying $21. And uh, the margins, well, favourite option is the All Blacks 15, 1 to 12 at 290. Then Ireland A, 1 to 12 at 330. The All Blacks 15, 13 plus at 350. The Irish 13, uh, the Irish A's 13 plus $4.60. And uh, if you've missed out on Seeing that all-black team, uh, this is what it looks like. Ethan DeGroot, Cody Taylor and Tyrell Lomax is the starting front row. Then Sam Whitelock and Scott Barrett are the locks. Shannon Frizzell, Dalton Papali'i, Adi Savia are the Lucys. Aaron Smith, Richie Mawaga are the halves. The centre pairing is Geordie Barrett and Rico Yuani. Caleb Clark and Sevu Reese on the wings and Bowden Barrett at 15. Samasoni Tokiahau offer Tuanga Fasi and Fletcher Newell are the front row reserves. Tupu Vai'i, the reserve lock, Akira Yuani, the reserve Lucy, and then Brad Webber, David Havili, and Anton Leonard-Brown are the rest of your back reserves. It is 20 past nine. Let us know what you think. Uh, things that Hamish brought up there about Wayne Pivak, about this Welsh team. What are your expectations for the test between the All Blacks and Wales this weekend? Let us know. Double eight double three, double eight double three. That is the temper bedpost text machine here on Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. This is Morning with Ian Smith on SENZ. Nine twenty-five here on mornings with Ian Smith and Ricardo Ball in the seat for him coming up. Actually, after nine thirty, uh, the Harry Javelin's going to join us. We're going to talk some cricket World Cup. Of course, he is part of the uh, call team here at SCNZ. We'll have uh, the game between the Black Caps and Ireland tonight. Him and Daniel McCarty. He's going to join us shortly to talk about that. But uh, uh, Keza is in. Karen Bingham, uh, part of Mark Stafford's afternoon crew. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Rick, how are you? Yeah. Yeah, good mate, good big weekend of sport um, on this weekend and so much of it is actually is going to be on Spark Sport as well with the Rugby League World Cup and everything else we've got going on at the moment. We've got loads of football on there at the moment mate, what's, uh, what's ticking boxes for you? 
Well, yeah, like you said, it's always a jam-packed weekend on uh, Spark Sport, and you're right, it is the Rugby League World Cup fever yeah. at the moment. Uh, wheelchair Rugby World Cup, Ricardo, you ever heard of it? I have heard of it, yeah, because I mean that was the thing that I'll tell you what the organisers of this Rugby League World Cup have done a really good job of being of going, hey, this isn't just the men's Rugby League World Cup. We've got the women's Rugby League World Cup as well, which kicked off slightly later. We've got the wheelchair Rugby League World Cup, so it's it's three World Cups in one. Yeah, definitely. So that's all on Spark Sport, and I'd, I'd tell you to check it out because I was up w- watching it yesterday, yeah. and I think I've fallen in love with a new different game. It's uh, it's it's very ruthless, the old wheelchair rugby. So if you want to check that out tonight, yeah. Spain versus Ireland. I think okay. that's a little interesting one. That is on tonight at 5.40. Okay. So make sure you go on Spark Sport and check that one out. Rick. Yeah. I thought I just wanted to touch off uh, Raul Sociedad took on your mm. Man United this morning in the Europa League yeah. on Spark Sport. It's a bit weird for me being a Liverpool fan. I'm used to only watching the Champions League. Uh, but you <laughs> did right, quite well, didn't you? Season, oh, whatever. whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah, and United got a win 1-0 away at Sociedad. Unfortunately for United though, needed to win by two goals. So did that mean you finished second? Mm. Right. And what that means, this season they've changed the way it works. So in the Europa League, if you finish second in your group, you have to go through another round of qualifying. So all the teams in the Champions League, um, that you won't be in next season, uh, (laughs) but the teams that finish third in their group, they get to go into the Europa League. What they've done is they've done the draw. So now that the teams that finish third in the Champions League groups play the teams that finish second in the Europa League groups right. to get through to the last 16. So, right. so now you're going to get knocked out in a special playoff round. Is that what you're telling <laughs> well, me? It's potential. I think the worst thing is that it's just another two games that you don't need in an already packed calendar, you know, no, with the World Cup and everything. That's it. But these are the teams that are dropping down from the Champions League. So United could draw Ajax, which is Eric Ten Hag's whole club, of course, Barcelona, Juventus, Bayer Leverkusen, FC Salzburg, Sevilla, Shakhtar Donetsk or Sporting Lisbon. So yeah, I was right. You are telling me that you are going to go out in a playoff <laughs> round. Rick, it'll be interesting right now. There's another Europa League game. So if you're around uh, your Spark Sport right now, turn it on. Match day six, Arsenal against Zurich. I've actually secretly and very quietly backed Zurich in this one, but we'll move on because well, I am probably wrong. Yeah, well, don't worry. There's always a comeback. <laughs> uh, starting on, it is nine o'clock now, so you can turn on to the WTA finals. You can watch Coco Goff yeah. and uh, Iga Swiatek as well in the action today. Sure, they're not, they're the not coming players. up against each other, but uh, they are what is on today. MotoGP, it's in Valencia at the moment, so you can follow that right throughout the weekend. It is going all the way into Monday. Uh, one twenty-seven is when it's meant to finish, apparently, which is very specific, I found. Did a bit of digging, yeah, and that is when the race kicks off. 127. So yeah. I found that really interesting. But now, nah, like you said, Rick, and I saw as well, you've got a, a very, very good journalist, Suzanne McFadden, coming up to talk to you about the Rugby World Cup. Yes. Uh, the semifinals are on this weekend on Spark Sport. Semifinal number one, Canada versus England. That'll kick off at 5.30 on Saturday. And then, of course, the big dance, New Zealand, the Black Ferns against France. Do you have any predictions for me? I, I think England will, will probably beat Canada quite comfortably. Uh, New Zealand, France, that's going to be really interesting for me. Mm. I think I was I thought the French might struggle against the Italians. The Italians have been their bogey team. They okay. beat them in the lead up to the World Cup, but to put thirty nine three on them on the Italians was impressive. So I think yeah, Black Ferns got it cut out. Uh, their work cut out. I reckon that's a toss of a coin that game. Yeah, it is. And a quick few little ones for you, Rick. Before I let you go, we got the Men's Rugby League World Cup. It is the quarterfinals now. So we've got Tonga v Samoa on Monday at three. 
Uh, where are we here? We've got New Zealand versus Cook Islands in the Women's Rugby League World Cup as well. 5.40 on Monday, and they have been carving it up. So definitely tune in to the Women's Rugby League World Cup. Moving on to Monday, Rick, before I let you go, NFL. Mm. NFL, I know you're a big NFL guy. We are both Raiders guys. Uh, we've got the Patriots against the Colts week nine on Monday at seven. And at the same time, we've got the Bengals coming up against the Panthers. Moving on to 10 o'clock on Monday morning, we have the Cardinals against the Seahawks. So yeah. very, very packed weekend on Spark Sport, Rick. I, I think my one for me, uh, big NBA fan, so I'm going to be tuning in on Sunday as the Hornets take on the very controversial at the moment, Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, well, as I like to refer to them in the New York New York Lakers, the way they're, they're imploding <laughs> yeah. very much. So thanks very much for popping in, Kev. Good luck uh, with the show, the Savo with you. Steph. You're in the hot seat for Sam. Uh, this November on Spark Sport, you can catch all of that. The Rugby World Cup Finals, the Rugby League World Cup Finals, the Black Caps versus India, Champions League and more. Spark Sport, see sport differently. Latest in news and sport is here now. And after that, it is the Harry Jav. He's on strike. It's a short one, and he pulls it away backward and square. Down to the fence for four. Glenn Phillips, you are magic. 102 of 61 balls. Twenty-seven away from ten here on mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, tell you what, if Glenn Phillips is magic, our next guest is Superman. Uh, if we go back to a World Cup in the not too distant past, uh, Grant Elliott joins us. G'day, mate. How are you? G'day, Rick Dog. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. I don't. I think McCarty's commentary on that uh, of of uh, Glenn Phillips's catch is right up there with Smithies of your six against South Africa, isn't it? Yeah, McCarty's pretty electric, and yeah, I'm lucky to have him in the commentary box uh, when we uh, when we commentate these games. He's pretty, he's pretty good, pretty passionate about the game. You know that. Yeah, mate, he is. Well, you, you both you both do a great job, mate. You're a, di- a dynamic duo. I, I'm not going to say who's Batman or who's Robin, but uh, I think you do a great uh, a great job together. And I'm looking forward to hearing your call of the game against the Irish tonight. I mean, from, from a New Zealand point of view, um, it feels like this is a bit of a lay down. Or what what are you expecting? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, if we were to say at the start of the competition you'd say, oh, New Zealand are playing Ireland. It should just be a formality. However, you know, Ireland obviously turned England over uh, early on in the competition. So that, you know, that complicates things. You start wondering, wow, what do Ireland actually have in their back pocket? Do these guys have something special that they could actually produce on um, a night like tonight? I would say, you know, the history would suggest no. New Zealand are playing some great cricket. Um, you know, someone like Finn Allen who's come off, Devin Conway has come off and now Glenn Phillips. I think whenever I look at a campaign, you look at your top five and you look at who's in form and, and who's lacking a bit of form. But I think all in all, like obviously question mark around the skipper, we just want to see him score runs. He got 40 or 40 in the last game. Hopefully that's the sort of innings he needs to produce something special. But in T20 cricket, you just need one person to get in, and that's what we've done well in the games that we've won. One person's got in, gone big, and then you have the cameos around it. 
And our bowling unit, well, I think that we've got one of the best bowling units in the competition, and especially if it's swinging. When it's swinging, you've got Bolton Southy early on. You can get wickets, back that up with a bit of Ferguson. And I think East Sodi's been impressive this World Cup, someone who a lot of people would have thought, oh, nah, not, I'm not sure he's going to make the team. I'm really happy to see him in there because all great teams have a, uh, a league spinner. Yeah, well, that's what they needed. I mean, I was surprised that we didn't see him at the Chapel Hadley series, but apparently uh, Gary Stead had him back home working on his action. I'm not sure if you've noticed any too much of a change there or uh, the way the ball's coming out of the hand for, for Ish. He looks like he's approaching the crease a lot quicker than he used to. So that is one thing. And if if I have seen you know a, a result of all the things he's worked on, he hasn't pitched many shorts. And that's always been his sort of downfall, is that he can bowl five good balls and then just the one bad one and over. But he's been really consistent. He's come on at times where, you know, sometimes we've been under the pump and he, he generally produces a wicket. Mm. Uh, I think his accuracy has been a lot better than it's, it's been in the past. And as I said, he, he's a wicket taker. So you throw Ferguson and him through the middle. Um, and obviously Satner is the, the glue. He sort of just, you know, does what he does every innings. He, doesn't get many wickets, but he's quite miserly, so you might get wickets from the other end, and that's where you like Sosodi and, and Ferguson come because of, and because if you can get wickets through the middle, you can really stem the flow of runs. Yeah, you can. I mean, that's and and that is what uh, some of the great sides do so well. You mentioned the captain, Kane Williamson. Yeah, I mean, he has since that elbow injury, and, and you might be better qualified to talk us through this, Grant, I have heard people say that the way that Kane Williamson has batted in the past is that high front elbow, which allows him uh, to play the ball under his eyes a lot more and gives him a little bit more time to play. But with this elbow injury, he's had to change the way he bats, and maybe that's having an effect on his batting. I mean, for me, you look at his stats in the last year or so, it, it kind of feels like maybe T20 has evolved beyond what he's able to do as a batsman. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? No, I mean, you go back to 2000, I think it was 2019, where he was the golden bat in the IPL. Um, you know, he, he had a great strike rate, great average. Um, we know what he's capable of. I don't know about his injury. I think, you know, he, coming back from any injury is tough. But I just think, you know, similar to... Someone like Rat Coley, you know, maybe he's just, you know, just a little bit out of sorts. Like we saw the other night, he came in and he wasn't like really crisply timing it. Normally everything's in the middle of the bat. It's just on the inside half of the bat or outside half of the bat. And it's just a matter of centimeters, you know. Suddenly, as a player, you have an innings like he had the other night, 40 or 40. But we saw, you know, he had that brilliant 50 that he scored against Pakistan before he went to the World Cup. Um, so we know what he's capable of. I think the only thing I'd question in the New Zealand um, batting lineup is I just think that you need a hitter and a touch player batting together. So if Finn Allen goes out, I would send in Glenn Phillips. If Devin Conway goes out, then I'd send in Kane Williamson. I wouldn't have Conway and Williamson batting together. And the reason being is because I do think that you want to strike at you know 140 plus from the one side and then let that touch player take their time and get into their groove so that when they're, when they're on 40 or 30, then they're ready to launch. Because you can get to 30 or 30 balls, and in the next 10 balls, you can score 20. Suddenly, you're 50 or 40, um, you know, and, and you're away. So um, I think that, you know, Williamson and Conway are the insurance policies in class within the, the team. 
in terms of just proper batting, good cricket shots, low risk, and then you've got the power around them, and we've got a lot of power. Yeah, we do. We we have a we have a whole heap of power, mate. Well, I mean, we get past Ireland. Uh, we're in the semi-finals. Uh, one of Australia or England are going to join us. Um, how do you think that's going to play out, mate? Yeah, I, I'm just hoping. I was thinking today. I was like, what are the chances of us not making it? I was like, well, if Ireland and, and New Zealand get rained out, and then Australia and England win, well, we're out, aren't we? Yeah. So um, I was thinking that that was a permutation. But obviously, uh, looking at the Aussie one, so England are through with us, um, let's just say, at this stage. But Australia playing Afghanistan, now you would think that they would um, they'd look to bat second so they know exactly what they need to get. And Afghanistan, in the last game we saw uh, Rashid Khan, who is obviously world-class, their best bowler, he walked off, hobbled off with an ankle injury. So I'm not too sure if he's going to be playing, which actually brings Australia back into the game. Just when you think they're dead and buried, uh, they've just kept on uh, sort of with their fingertips in this competition. So um, I think, you know, it's still anyone's game going into the semifinals. I'd like to think that New Zealand will go through, will beat Ireland tonight, um, and then it'll be one of England or Australia. But you're going to have to watch the the permutations and the net run rate, so it's going to be pretty exciting. It will be, yeah, the Australian cricket team, eh? They're, they're like the Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees of of sport, like, you know, those old, those, those, <laughs> those old horror villains that you think they're dead, but they always claw back. They... <laughs> yeah, they're just sneaking around the corner, you're like, I know he's going to frighten me. Here he comes again. <laughs> Here he comes again. <laughs> he's not dead. Oh. Shoot him, shoot him. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, never quite finish him off. Uh, what about um, uh, Group Two, mate? Because um, your uh, your homeland of South Africa had a chance to really put Pakistan to the sword and cement a place in the semi-finals, but couldn't do it. I mean, the South African bowlers were bowling pies in that last uh, last half of the Pakistani innings last night, weren't they? Yeah, it sort of surprised me because I actually tipped uh, South Africa to go through with India in this, this group stage, but to have a loss. Um, last night complicates things a little bit like New Zealand. They had the chance to get into the semis and, and they, they butchered it. So um, Pakistan are a good team, though. When you look at their competition, though, Ricardo, you look at that they should have beaten India and they lost to Zimbabwe. Probably you know, they should have beaten Zimbabwe. They would have been two from two. They beat South Africa. Like, they should actually be top of the table. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, but that's what we've always come to expect from Pakistan. I mean, they're a fantastic team, but they're rocks or diamonds. Um, I think South Africa have a really good all-round team. Um, but once again, you know, going into the semis, uh, will they, they end up top or second? I think that they will end up one or two. But, um, yeah, I, I think whether we play um, India or South Africa in the semis, I'd be happy either way. Yeah, South Africa have got the Dutch and Pakistan have got Bangladesh. So... Based on that and way things sit, you'd think that South Africa should progress, mate, and uh, yeah, that'd make it interesting. If we finish top and play um, South Africa, it'd be an interesting one to see if Gary Stead pins the batting uh, the batting card up from that last warm-up game to the wall in the dressing sheds, eh? And goes, well, that's what they did to us last time. What are you going to do this time? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think anything for motivation, but I remember that um, we, we pumped Australia in the warm-ups to the last T20 uh, World Cup, so warm-up games are kind of seen in that light. I think it's always it's nice to have a first look at a team and almost get a feel for it before you do play them in the uh, competition time. But India, obviously, we're probably their bogey team. 
we seem to beat them in every world uh, competition uh, game. So they'll be wary of us. I don't think India will want to play New Zealand. Uh, but uh, I think South Africa, New Zealand will be an exciting one. South Africa have got some real good quicks. Uh, they seem to have a more balanced batting lineup as well uh, going into this competition, and they're pretty confident at the moment. Yeah, they are, mate. Uh, they are. What about uh, your TAB account? How's that looking? Um, I'm I'm looking at uh, the top scorer for New Zealand tonight. I'm, I'm liking Glenn Phillips at five bucks. Where would you be going? Oh, I don't know. Um, I haven't really looked at it. I I tell you what. Well, how about I go? Former's temporary, class is permanent. Kane Williamson, top run scorer. What's he at? Yeah, he's at five bucks as well. There we go. That's the way I'd go. There you go. That's the that's the way the the jab is going, mate. Hey Grant, thanks very much for coming on and giving us some time this morning. Appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to your call with McCarty uh, for the Ireland game tonight, mate. Uh, it's always entertaining. Thanks, Ricardo. Love your show, brother. Cheers, brother. Thanks very much. Uh, you Grant Elliott there with us. You can catch him and Daniel McCarty calling the Black Caps, taking on Ireland from 4 o'clock today right here on SENZ, a must-win match at the T20 World Cup to get us through to the semi-finals of that World Cup. It is a quarter to ten. We'll be back with some of your tests and a TAB multi next. Good oil from 1pm every Saturday on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got no when the hold No when the fold Smithy's multi. No when the walk away. No when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, time for uh, our multi. It's going to be a team multi today. Uh, we've decided Friday's going to be team multi days. Um, so, uh, Logan, you can, you can, you can start the multi, mate. Where are you? Where are you going today? Uh, I'm I'm kind of um, pinching the nerve of uh, our boss Ruben <laughs> with this one. He when I told him what it was, he told me to get out of his office. That's how uh, sour he is about it. Uh, I'm going to the NHL. Surprise, surprise! Uh, the Anaheim Ducks versus the Vancouver Canucks. Basically, the battle of two of the worst teams in the league. Vancouver are the worst team in the league, but the TAB have them as, as favourites. So I'm going for the Anaheim Ducks, paying two dollars twenty five. Two twenty-five. Okay, well, that's a really good start. That gives us a solid start, Brian. Uh, I know that you were looking at some NFL. Is that where you decided to go for your leg of the multi? Um, oh, let me just see here. Shockingly, I went off form and decided to go with the UFC. Oh, okay, fair, fair. What have you gone for the UFC? Because we've got a, a fight night uh, on Sunday our time, don't we? We have a pay per view. Oh, oh, is it two eighty this weekend? Two eighty-one. Yeah. Oh, mate, time is flying by this year. I tell you, I'm losing track. Oh, hang on. Yeah, Thursday, place a bit. Mate, maybe, maybe maybe I'm wrong and you're right and we have to wait a long time for this. I think I'm living a week ahead. <laughs> I thought you might myself be. Myself here. But that's all right. What have you gone? So uh, for I'll you, we've set to Is he head to head to win? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was paying. Logs, have you got it there, mate? It's $1.59 head to head. $1.59 head to head. Yeah, they had no option. So I'm, I'm going to run with that one. Yeah, mate, it is uh, next weekend, that one. Yeah. But that's all right, so we've got to wait a little while for this to come in. But that's okay. So you're bringing it back down to some sensible sort of bets. Well, I'm going to go um, off track. Uh, we were just talking to the Harry Jav, uh, Grant Elliott, about the cricket. New Zealand, the Black Caps play Ireland uh, tonight. Of course, coverage here from 4 o'clock with uh, Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott. And 
I know he went Kane Williamson. I just Kane doesn't seem to be in great form at the moment, and he is very much being steady the ship, Kane. So yeah, that was a huge call there by Grant. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm going to go Glenn Phillips. I'm going to go uh, the Rocket Man, uh, Glenn Phillips, because he is absolute pocket rocket, and I'm going to take him to be our top run scorer at five bucks. Nice, of course. You combine that all the odds there, pay out a hefty seventeen dollars and eighty eight cents. Boom, get amongst. That's guaranteed to come in. As, as you say, what would it do for the weekend, Ricardo? It will fill your beer fridge, and more probably, actually, if that one came in. You'd probably fill your beer fridge twice, which is never a bad thing. Uh, now, we've got a few texts have come in, actually. Uh, this one from Jared. He texted through while Grant Elliott was on. He said, we cannot waste seven overs of an innings with a strike rate of 100. Kane really has to improve in that area. Uh, Ken, for your thoughts on that. Ken has sent one through on the rugby. He said, expecting the All Blacks to win by 10 or more, not sure why why both Harvili and Anton are on the bench and would have started Bowden at 10, don't have much faith in Mawanga. Interesting from Ken. I think because Bowden is on the field and so is Mawanga, those are your two 10s. And then Harvili uh, can play fullback. He can cover 12 and 10, and then Anton can play 12 or 13. That's probably the thinking there. But, I, yeah, it is unusual. I, know, I see what you're saying there, Ken. And Chris has put this one out there, a bit of a challenge. He said, Ricardo, I've just texted Boot to four six nine. That is my three dollars. I will make a huge difference, and I put out the challenge to every one of your listeners to do the same. So thanks very much for your text, Chris. Here, of course, it is Gumboot Friday. Text four six nine to donate three dollars uh, to help with I Am Hope and uh, Mental Health Foundation. It is six minutes away from ten here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Is the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. We're a minute away from 10 o'clock. After 10 o'clock, uh, we're going to be talking football with Scott Hales from Miramar Rangers. We're going to talk Champions League, the FIFA World Cup, impact it's having on, on player injuries, and uh, also the football ferns announcing that the US women's national team, the number one team in the world in defending world champs, are going to be here in January uh, for a couple of warm-up games in a, in a week-long camp as well. Uh, around 10.30, Susan McFadden is going to join us, the locker room editor, to talk the Rugby World Cup semi-finals. Of course, Black Ferns take on France at Eden Park this weekend, and you know that French team uh, have beaten the Black Ferns five games in a row. And I go to the TAB because I'm keen to see what the market looks like. Because I thought, well, this is going to be a pretty, you know, pretty even market. Black Ferns are paying a dollar thirty-three. The French women are paying three bucks head to head. I think the value is all on France there. Um, so yeah, go and check that out as well. You can bet live on your favourite sports by downloading that TAB app today. Watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just gone three past ten here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. Well, he's at the T20 World Cup. A reminder that we've got live coverage of the Black Caps final pool game against Ireland today at four o'clock. Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott on the coverage right here on SENZ. Coming up on the show this hour, we're going to catch up with Susan McFadden from uh, Locker Room to talk the Women's Rugby World Cup. We'll catch a love racing update with Louis Herman Watt. Uh, we'll have a tennis update as well. Big news for Michael Veen earlier today. Right now though, time to talk football and joining us out of the capital is Miramar Rangers head coach Scott Hales. How are you doing Scott? 
Yeah, good mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. Uh, big news, of course, coming out yesterday that the number one team in the world, uh, the defending World Cup champions, back to back, the US women's team, are going to be here in January for two games against the Ferns. And I hear a, a week long camp at Auckland before those two games as well. That's a, a real boost for, uh, but not just the Ferns, but also uh, the local footballing community. Yeah, it's fantastic for the for the entire nation. Obviously, leading into the into the World Cup as well to have um, to have the caliber of um, you know the United States coming over to to New Zealand is um, is amazing. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity for for the for the footballing um, community to you know to really get behind what's going to be a you know really a, a fantastic uh, World Cup um, that's just on the horizon. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be magic having them here for the World Cup as well. I mean, have you noticed on the ground at Miramar Rangers? Uh, I know that you're close to football, so people tend to be about the football anyway. But have you have you noticed more pe- maybe non football people are starting to talk to you about this coming up now that it's in the news? Yeah, like it's uh, the massive buzz around. Obviously, you know the draws the draws come out for the for the World Cup, so. You know, everyone's everyone's gearing up for you know, especially in Wellington. You know, we've got we've got some pretty you know big teams um, heading to the capital, and you know, obviously, you know, DBS, uh, our home grounds, had a bit of work done to it. So, um, you know, in and around the in the capital, a few of the pitches have been um, you know done up, and they look really good. So, you know, we know there's some teams that are going to be coming down here and training and. They're just starting to pick up a bit of a vibe, and then you know, obviously, with the news that you, you know the USA women's team were coming uh, over to New Zealand has kind of ramped it up even more. Um, so there's there's a huge buzz around the place at the moment, um, and obviously that news um, that news yesterday has um, you know set it alight again. So yeah, really exciting times for the footballing community in the nation. Yeah, very much so. Looking forward to all of that taking place in our own backyard and not too far off, uh, Scott. We also saw uh, the Champions League group stages wrap up yesterday and uh, that has that means we know who's going through to the last 16 of the Champions League. Uh, Liverpool and Napoli, uh, Porto, Club Brugge, Bayern, Inter, Spurs, Eintracht, Frankfurt, Chelsea, AC Milan, Real Madrid, Leipzig, Man City, Dortmund, and Benfica, PSG. Uh, there's some big teams not there, though, mate. Probably uh, the biggest one that is not there, not, not going anywhere, is Atletico Madrid. They finished bottom of their group. Uh, no European football for them in the second half of the season. It's, you start to wonder, you're looking at that, wonder or not, whether or not, you know, there's uh, t- it's time for a change at the top at Atletico Madrid. Yeah, I think it's interesting, interesting times, especially in, you know, that that tournament um which you know the the european clubs hold um an extremely high regard um you know it's uh, it's it's always interesting to see who comes through but also you know you look at the groups that you know the the teams were in it's uh it's quite interesting i think there were you know a few a couple of the groups um where the english teams finished top of their groups three of the groups like yep. chelsea spurs and man city finished top of their groups and then obviously you know liverpool um, you know, beating Napoli, who are on an unbelievable streak as well. So you, you know, you you kind of fancy, you know, the, a couple of the English teams in and around in and around the mix. Um, but yeah, look, I, I'm I'm a big fan of Napoli at the moment with the way they're playing, and obviously the coach is 
philosophy on on football. Um, although they lost to Liverpool, yeah, I think it's quite hard to to count um, Napoli out of you know taking this all the way. Yeah, I, th- I think so. They're looking really good. They've uh, they've got some players, some interesting players. Of course, uh, uh, the Georgian Maradona, um, you know, <laughs> Caradona as they call him, because no one can pronounce his name, um, has been a, yeah. has, has been somebody that's really flagged up. I think I think for Napoli, uh, interesting. I uh, I've got some uh, some friends who and don't think any any less of me for this, Scott. But I've got some friends who are big Chelsea fans, um, and oh. they. they they uh, uh, they're a little bit disappointed in Graham Potter, uh, the new the new Chelsea boss, because they had a game against Dinamo Zagreb, effectively a dead rubber. They'd won the group, um, but he played Ben Chilwell and, and Mason Mount for the full ninety in that game uh, when he could have played the kids because they have Arsenal this weekend in the Premier League. Uh, Chilwell picked up a hamstring injury. Looks like he's out of the World Cup. Uh, Reese James are already without. So I mean, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you've got a question. I, I guess some of the management of his squad, don't you, from Potter? in that game? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's always, um, you know, football's about opinions and we, you know, we're on the outside and we're, we're kind of guessing what's going on and, you know, hindsight is a is a wonderful thing and, you know, potentially, you know, not playing Chilwell, um, you know, or Mount in that game and, you know, it's kind of a dead rubber game. You can, you can play other players, but at the same time, like, you know, you know, Graham Potter's got his own, his own thoughts around what, you know, what he could have done or what, what he needs to do. And, you know, I'm a big, big believer of, um, you know, always playing my strongest team because I'm a big, big believer of momentum. Um, so maybe he felt that momentum going into the, into the Arsenal game was, you know, what he needed to do. Um, you know, I've, I've watched Chelsea since, um, you know, Graham Potter's arrived and, you know, obviously it was it wasn't great that he lost to his old club right in the um, you know a few days ago they got walloped by his old club. Um, but yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan of Graham Potter. Um, you know, uh, an English coach coming through through the ranks. Um, uh, obviously, you know, with a with a university team to start off with. Um, there's actually a lad in in New Zealand um, who who was the drag Canterbury Dragons coach who who did actually work with Graham Potter um, at the university and in, in a club team in lower leagues in England. And, you know, talking to Lee Padmore, who, who worked with him, is, um, you know, he's got some great, great stories and insights as to Graham Potter. And, yeah, look, I'm sure he's going to be a hit at Chelsea. Um, it's just going to take a little bit of, a little bit of time um, for him. But, yeah, look, I think it's always easy on the outside to, to question... Um, you know, people in the in the arena of what they're doing, um, but yeah, I'm quite surprised you got some Chelsea, mate. <laughs> mate, me too, me too. At times, it has to be said. Yeah, it was, I mean, like yeah, this guy has been he's recently been back to the UK, watched Chelsea at United, uh, watched a couple of other games, and said, it's, it's, you know, considering Grand Potter hasn't had a transfer window. Um, which I think is something you know, and that Todd Bowley's given him a five-year deal. Uh, the you know what he's telling me about what he's hearing from guys that know their stuff. I mean, Chelsea fans for a long time, they reckon Potter's going to be gone by Christmas, which I, I find hard to believe. But it, it's um, you know they're basically but saying that they've been a shambles, even though they've been getting some results. They haven't been playing great football, and then they got done by Brighton. He thinks they're going to get walloped by Arsenal and probably by Newcastle in their last two games ahead of the World Cup. Yeah, I think the um, I think they're two really difficult games as well. Um, obviously, Arteta's 
you know, stamped his authority over the, you know, the culture and environment and the way he wants football to be played at Arsenal. And, you know, they're, they are quite a force at the moment, although, you know, a couple of clubs have gone uh, gone toe-to-toe with them. I think I think they lost to United and United were really good that day against Arsenal. And, you know, I am, I am obviously a, an English uh, an English coach as well and watching, you know, Eddie Howe do do the things that he's doing at Newcastle. Yes, okay, they've got, you know, a, a load of money and they're very fortunate financially and he's had a he's had a couple of windows where he's been able to bring players in, but he hasn't bought in um, you know, like the changes that you thought that Newcastle were gonna make. You know, I remember when Abramovich first came into Chelsea and obviously the you know, the City group in at in at Man City, the the wholesale changes they made at the club you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars pumped into those teams. Eddie Howe hasn't gone about his business that way. Um, he's brought in um, players that obviously he needed to do for, you know, last season to get him over the line. Obviously, with Chris Wood coming in, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, heat around that one because, you know, obviously Chris Wood was at, was at Burnley and they were fighting relegation and he's, you know, taken a, a good striker away and, that worked for Eddie Eddie Howard Newcastle, and now, you know, especially at home, like Newcastle, are, you know, a really really good team. Um, so it's going to be hard for Graham Potter at Chelsea to get over the line in those two games, um, purely because of um, the the trajectory that, that those two clubs are on. But um, look, it's football. Um, Chelsea, you know, have a history of hiring and sacking very quickly um, at, at the club. So, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting time for Graham. But, you know, as a coach myself, you, you just want the ability to have some time with the group. Um, but, unfortunately, business is business. And as a football coach, you don't have time in England. Um, you either win or you lose. Uh, and if you lose, you're gone. Yeah, that feels very much how it is. Uh, I mean, on that then, what about Jurgen Klopp uh, at Liverpool? Obviously, he he has got a lot of credit in the bank uh, at Anfield because of what he's done. Uh, but historically, he does have the seven-year itch. You know, it happened at Mines where they fell off a cliff in the seventh season. Happened at Dortmund as well. Uh, this is the seventh season at Liverpool, and you know, in the in the Premier League, particularly um, not so much Champions League, but Premier League, particularly, they are looking pretty vulnerable, aren't they? Yeah, they are. There's, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk out there that people know, that other teams know how to play against Liverpool and and things like that. But look, they are, they are losing by fine margins. I did watch a, um, an interview with James Milner um, prior to their their, their Napoli game, um, the one they just played, not the one where they got absolutely annihilated in Naples. But he was saying there was. You know, there's elements of luck, um, you know, that it does fall your way. Sometimes it doesn't fall your way. Um, when you've got momentum and luck's on your side, you know, you steamroll teams and you go over the top of them. But when it's not when it's not going your way, then, um, you know, things do go against you um, more often than not. And, you know, I've, I've watched Liverpool because, look, I, I like the way, you know, clock. Um, explained his his philosophy and his style, and it was heavy metal. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, you watch Liverpool, and you see that in the way that they they press and they chase and they they run everywhere. And you know, you're watching them, and I've watched them a lot. And you know, they are dominating a lot of games um, with the ball. They just look really, really vulnerable um, on the counter. Um, 
and that's that's their issue at the moment. But at the same time, you know, have they replaced Mane? I don't think they have. You know, Firmino didn't really feature last year too much. Now he seems to be, you know, the focal point of what they do. Does Salah need a Mane to compete with with goals? So he knows he needs to score over 20 and he needs to score most games to, you know, have that competition within the team that him and Mane kind of had. Like, I'm not sure that, you know, they've replaced the top line with, with you know, with, with what they lost. And I think that's that's hurting them. Um, and let's be honest, it is a... It is a aged team as well mm. you know you do have Henderson in there you do have Milner in there in the midfield especially Thiago when he's fit you know he pulls the strings but you know they are kind of coming to the end of probably the cycle with with the club whether that's the players or the coach is, is probably the owner's decision but you, you, you do sense something needs to change at Liverpool. Um, and that's just that's just my opinion, obviously. I'd be keen to get, as a coach, get your thoughts on Trent Alexander-Arnold as well. I mean, he's a player who's been so important to them. In fact, he and Robertson have been like dual, dual playmakers, you know, which, you know, the, the fullback position has become a playmaker position. Uh, but teams have really found him out and his defensive liability has really come to the fore this season. We have seen it played out before, but not to the extent we've seen this season. I mean, if you're... Jurgen Klopp or in Jurgen Klopp's shoes. I mean, what's the answer there? I, I often look at who they've got because I think they've, they have a real lack of depth in midfield and think they might actually be better going to a, you know, a three-four-three and having someone like a Gomez playing as a, a right-sided centre back who can cover in behind and it gives them a bit more uh, uh, freedom to get forward. Yeah, they've, they've obviously tweaked, um, you know, the way they the, the way they play and their system slightly. Um, you know, heading into the Naples game, uh, the Napoli game, obviously, you know, Klopp did say um, in the interview with, with someone, you know, like, are you going to stick, you know, you've gone back to your traditional 4-3-3. Um, you know, they do play, obviously, when you watch them, they do play slightly um, squiffed, slightly lopsided. Um, it's interesting when, you know, you know, you know, reporters do talk to Klopp around, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold and, you know, obviously, as a coach, you always stand up for your player and you back your player in front of the press because you know that's that's something that you you know you must always do because it's the right thing by the player. But you know, uh, it it would be interesting to you know hear Klopp's um, um, you know or get an understanding of what he wants Alexander to do, especially on that side, because you know Robertson and Simicus do bomb up and down on the left, but you always find that when opposition teams break on Liverpool's right-hand side, then Trent Alexander-Arnold is actually usually one of the first lines of pressure as a right fullback. And I don't know whether he's he's been asked to do that or that's what Klopp wants. And you know, you do you do see a lot of the time with Salah on the ball. You know, they do get Trent Alexander in and around um, whether he's inverted or they bring Henderson over and they do play with three over on that side with a midfielder. Um, when it's on the left, they don't usually do that. They usually bring one of the one of the forwards in with Robertson to play quickly on the side. So I don't know. It's it's a it's a style of play that Klopp's obviously you know keen on, and and he sees Trent Alexander as being more of a player that plays higher up the pitch, and maybe he's happy with the fact that you know he's he is all about entertainment. Klopp, so you know he would love. You can see him when the games are. 
you know, there's the high tempo and, you know, Liverpool win 3-2. I think he much prefers a 3-2 game to a 1-0 game, too, because he loves entertainment. So I don't know whether that's something that he's, he, he's instilled in the group that Trent is the first line of pressure when there's a when there's a counter-attack on. Like, I, I don't know. But, you know, for me, your first role as a defender is to defend. Um, and Trent has been exposed, you know, badly this year on on you know the the mentality side of defending or you know needs to understand where he needs to be at certain times but I'm not Klopp and I don't know what he's asked Trent to do um, and it could be something that we go oh okay that makes sense mm. after we yeah after the, after could be a hindsight thing yeah we'll we'll definitely have to have to see how that plays out mate uh, the other thing that we're seeing is uh, of course they're having a concertina a bunch of games into a shorter period of time because we have this mid-season World Cup for the very first time um, and I imagine that it's probably you know, uh, had these knock-on effects because we had a, a shorter off-season so players had less time to rest and recover uh, then they've had to bang in ex- ex- ga- extra games before the World Cup and we're seeing a lot more injuries I mean, uh, you know, Chelsea for example have lost Chilwell uh, Rhys James as well who would probably be England's two starting fullbacks. Uh both look like they're going to miss the tournament N'Golo Kante and Paul Pogba for France are going to miss the yeah. tournament uh, Son Heung-min from Spurs uh, he's had to have surgery after that ankle injury so he's going to be missing from South, for, for South Korea which is massive for them um, there's there's a lot of players that aren't going to be at this World Cup and I see now some of the international managers are trying to put pressure on uh, teams in Europe, Premier League and La Liga etc to rest players earlier than they need to but it's not going to happen is it with uh, you know still two games in the Premier League and a round of League Cup action still to happen before uh, that break uh, Yeah look it's a, it's a gruelling time for for players um, obviously you know the lead in from even you know last season moving through and then you know there was a there was a competition for you know like the European club, um, national teams there was a competition that they were part of as well, which obviously dragged over into pre-season and into the season and the international windows. And, you know, it is quite sad when, you know, you are watching Premier League games and players are having to come off. You know, I think, you know, Saka's another one um, with mm. his ankle at Arsenal. Mm. He had to come off. Um, the the Man United centre-back, Varane, obviously came off against Chelsea. Chelsea? Yeah, and obviously it was. He was very upset um, because, you know, they know what's just round the corner and, you know, it must be really hard for a for a for a national team manager to you know be observing players that you really don't want to get injured and they're playing. But at the same time, you know, as a as a club and a, a club coach, you know, you've got you've got you know requirements you've got to meet for your club. So to make sure that you can you know win the league or avoid relegation or you know make Champions League or Europa for next season. So you know, it's, it's a pretty grueling time for the players, and I think. Um, that's, you know, first and foremost, that jumps into my mind straight away. It's like, well, what, you know, what do we need to do for the player to make sure that they're being looked after? And look, the amount of money now involved and and staffing and, you know, facilities and the ability to look after players' well-being, not just physically, but from a from a mental state as well. It's, um, you know, it's a grueling time for players and, you know, you just hope, but you kind of know that you know a lot of the clubs will be looking after their players physically, mentally, um, knowing that there is um, you know a World Cup just around the corner, which you know really at the same time. But you know, oh, I think you know, players are 
a relatively tired leading into the World Cup. I thought you'd gone through the Victoria Tunnel there for a moment, Scott. We sort of lost you, but you're back. You're back. It's good stuff, mate. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on today, mate, and having a chat. Uh, great to get your thoughts on the Champions League, on the US women coming down here, and, of course, the World Cup as well, mate. Uh, best of luck for the rest of the National League season, eh? Cheers, mate. Thank you. Cheers. 10.24 here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. In New Zealand and developed superhuman abilities. Finally, I'm starting to get the respect I deserve around here. Long may that continue. Show some respect, Daniel. Steady on, fella, mate. You know normal service will resume come Saturday morning. Join me, Daniel McCarty, and me, Grant Elliott, as we talk sport with friends, acquaintances, and occasionally experts every Saturday from 10 a.m. on the Saturday session on SENZ. The fast horses are back, baby. The Good Oil from 1pm every Saturday on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. The countdown to the Australian Open is on. It's time to talk tennis with Smithy. Game, set, match. Experience the best of the Australian Open and the best of Melbourne with AO Travel. Visit ozopentravel.com. It's going to be great to get over there, isn't it? The uh, Australian Open in Melbourne, always a great place, a great festival of sport. There's always plenty to do as well. And uh, from a Kiwi point of view, it's always good to follow Mike Venison. And I see Mike Venus is playing at the Paris Masters at the moment with his uh, German partner, Timo Putz. Uh, they won in the round of 16 against the French pair of Edouard Roger Vasselin and Nicolas Mahout, who's a former top 20 player. They won in three, had to win the uh, third set 10-8. Uh, they are through to the quarterfinals now, which is uh, good to see him picking up some form at this time of the season. They'll play another German pairing in the quarterfinals tomorrow, 6 o'clock New Zealand time. And also some interesting news uh, on Mike Venus. If you're planning on heading over or thinking about heading over to the Melbourne uh, to Melbourne for the Australian Open, tell you, it's going to be interesting because Jamie Murray is one of the most successful double players of all time. He's the brother, of course, of Andy Murray, uh, has played Davis Cup for Great Britain as well, a double specialist. Uh, well, he is teaming up with Mike Venus next season. So those two will be playing all their tennis together next season, which is great. That, that's massive for Mike Venus and for Jamie Murray, two uh, real veterans of the double scene. Uh, and I think those two could really uh, go places. So that'll be interesting to see next season. Looking forward to seeing if Mike Venus and Jamie Murray can maybe end up in a Grand Slam final together. You wouldn't put it past them. Uh, Jamie Murray's won a few. Mike Venus has, of course, won the French in the past. Uh, that is a great pairing and great news for New Zealand tennis fans as well. Coming up shortly, we're going to talk uh, the Women's Rugby World Cup, the Black Ferns in action against France in the semi-final at Eden Park. Also, England taking on the Canadians as well. Susan McFadden from a Locker Room is going to join us to talk that right now, though it's the latest news and sport from Araha Hathaway.
26 away from 11 here on SENZ. Uh, Tadpole, actually, uh, that, that's on Tadpole. Those guys have just managed to get hold of all their masters and have re-released that album. It's available on vinyl now. I think JB High Five is stock of that. So if you're a Tadpole fan, feel like that, Logan, uh, that'll be a bit of you. You go back, go go back, go back to your youth when that oh. came out 20 years ago. <laughs> My youth, thanks, mate. Yeah, well, back in the uh, early 2000s, man. I love Tadpole. So yeah, very cool that they've uh, <laughs> discovered their contract from back in the day and that they do have control of their masters. Uh, and are re-releasing their music again. So very good to see, uh, especially because the Medusa, their second album, mm. uh, not anywhere to be found on streaming services. So looking forward to that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully they, uh, Dino and the crew can turn that around. I used to actually play football with Dino, the drummer from Tadpole, Dino Lawton. Um, he was a, he's a good player, actually, real good player. Um, Wolves fan, which is a bit tragic, but maybe we can get him on to talk about that at some point and maybe uh, talk about the uh, what they're doing with the music as well. I'll tell you, we've had a few texts come through on double eight double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Uh, temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Uh, the texts that have come through on double eight double three. Mark, hi Ricardo, I'm picking Wales to beat the All Blacks. Yeah, there's been a few of those. This one as well from Brian's come through. G'day Ricardo, that All Black Ford pack holds no fears for anyone. The world knows how to beat the All Blacks now. Take them on in the Fords, slow the ball down and set your defence. If we drop this first test, it could get very ugly. I'm ho- I hope I'm wrong. That's from Brian. What do you think? Do you reckon that the All Blacks are going to lose to Wales this weekend? I mean, it's been 69 years since the Welsh have last beaten the All Blacks in a test match. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? I'll tell you what, there is certainly some signs. And, you know, I talked earlier to Hamish Stewart, who is covering the test for Talk Sport in the UK, and he said there's probably more hope uh, and more talk about that being a possibility right now than there has been in a long time as a Welsh rugby fan. So we'll have to see. In fact, uh, if you're going to watch the game and then and you want to talk about it, you want to you want to sort of maybe vent, depending on what the result's going to be. Uh, we are doing a bleeding black. Uh, we do these right through the season for every All Blacks test. Uh, normally, of course, these these games are at night our time, but because we're in the Northern Hemisphere, the next bleeding black is Sunday morning at eight o'clock. So eight o'clock in the morning on Sunday, Kimberly Downs and Steve Devine are going to front bleeding black the morning after. They'll be taking your calls and your texts. They're going to analyse all of the action uh, from not just the All Blacks game, but also from that Black Fern semi final as well. So if you're looking for somewhere to uh, get a breakdown of both games, the All Blacks Wales and the Black Ferns up against France, then Bleeding Black right here on ECNZ Sunday morning at 8 o'clock with Kimberly Downs and Steve Devine could well be the place to go. I think that's uh, looking like uh, it's going to be an interesting listen. And I'm really looking forward to this test, actually. I don't know how pretty it's going to be, but I think we're going to find a few things out in this test match this weekend against the Welsh. Keen to hear what you think. Of course, we do have an Oklahoma Joe's Blackjack Charcoal Kettle Grill to give away to our SENZ Caller of the Month. If you want to win that, get yourself in the draw to win that, then uh, give us a call 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, or you can text us on double eight double three. What do you think? How do you think the All Blacks are going to go against the Welsh? It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Wayne Pivak's team 
without Dan Bigger, but uh, we've seen Gareth Anscombe named at in the in the ten jersey for the Welsh. So uh, that squad that the Welsh have put together reasonably strong. Gareth Thomas, Ken Owens, and Thomas Francis the front row. Ken Owens, of course, the British and Irish Lions uh, hooker, number one hooker. Uh, Will Rollins and Adam Baird, both big units of the second row. Uh, Justin Tuperich. Tommy Raphael and Taolopo Falatau is the number eight. Those, those are the Lucys. And then in the backs and halfback, Thomas Williams, Gareth Anscombe, those are the halves. You've got uh, Rio Dio, the new winger out of Cardiff, and Louis Rezamit on the wings. Uh, the midfield pairing is Nick Hopkins and George North. And then they've got Lee Halfpenny playing fullback. So there's some experience there. There's some, some new youth coming through as well. Uh, definitely uh, going to be an interesting team that Wayne Pivak has put together. Off the bench, they've got a bit of depth there as well. Ryan Elias, Nicky Smith, Dylan Lewis, the front row uh, subs. But how's this? Alan Wynne-Jones is covering the lock uh, position off the bench. So uh, that old stager, he is still around. Uh, interesting player I don't know too much about. I'm assuming he's got African heritage looking at his surname. But his first name's Christ. Christ Shanuza. Um, if you've got Christ on your side, you can't lose, can you? So it's going to be interesting to see how the Welsh go there. And then Kieran Hardy, Reese Priestland and Owen Watkin are the back reserves for the Welsh. How do you think the All Blacks are going to go against the Welsh this weekend? Let us know. Double eight double three, the Temper Bedpost text machine or 0800 150 Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Sixteen away from eleven here on SENZ mornings with Ian Smith Ricardo in for him. A few texts through on double eight double three. It's going to be tough, but I'm taking the All Blacks by twelve. That one from Roscoe uh, from Jarrett. Hi Ricardo. The Welsh are going to be amped for this test, and on the back of recent histories with the ABs this year, I would not at all be surprised by another loss uh, from Jeremy. I'm picking a competitive win to the ABs. They know what's coming and will have too much class for Wales. And Ricardo, I fully expect the ABs to win, but that is a strong Welsh side. A lot of pressure on Ryan to get this pack firing up. And uh, great to see Dalton Papali getting a start at seven. He was dynamic off the bench against Japan. That one from Ken. Keep your texts rolling through. Double eight, double three. Course not just the All Blacks in action this weekend. The Black Ferns have a Rugby World Cup semi final against the French at Eden Park. And actually joining us live from Eden Park, the editor of the locker room, it is Suzanne McFadden. G'day, Suzanne. How are you? G'day, Ricardo. You won't believe where I am right now. I am in the turf shed out at Eden Park, and it smells like uh, lawnmower petrol and old gumboots. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, what, a, what an appropriate, on Gumboot Friday, what an appropriate smell to have. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so good. It's so a pretty good. special place to be. Yeah, it is, very much. What, what are you doing at Eden Park today? I'm doing a behind-the-scenes story for Locker Room for tomorrow. So um, it's been right through the whole stadium, finding out what goes on on the day before a huge uh, rugby event like we're going to see tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, as the editor of Locker Room and uh, Locker Room and somebody that watches sport very closely, particularly women's sport. How have you noticed the visibility of women's sport change since this World Cup has started in New Zealand? Incredibly so. It's just, it, it's been, you know. The, the three big events that are coming here, or that have been here with the Cricket World Cup earlier this year, 
now this Rugby World Cup and, of course, the FIFA Women's Football World Cup next July. Um, you know, I, I, we all hoped that not just women would be interested in this, but everybody would be in, interested in these events. And I think the Cricket World uh, Cricket World Cup captured a lot of interest, but this event, because people can actually go to the events, mm. um, that makes a huge difference. And oh, just the number of people who are, and you know this too, who are talking about this um, Rugby World Cup and talking about women's football, uh, rugby at last, um, it's just... Oh, it's just mind blowing. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, without getting uh, bogged down in metrics and things, but I mean, obviously, uh, as a editor of something like the Locker Room, you know, you are yeah. always looking to see what's getting clicks, how many people are mm. reading what articles. How how has that changed for you? What what are maybe some sort of rough oh. number increases that you that you're seeing on that on those sort of articles? Yeah, yeah, good question, Ricardo. I reckon it's three to four times more. Wow. You, could, you could times it by three or four. Um, and to be honest with you, you know, we, we struggled to get audiences to read women's rugby um, in the last couple of years leading up to this. But then in the stuff from the week before until now, it's just gone ballistic. And people really want to hear about it. They've, I think, you know, there are people here who have who came to the opening day for the tournament here at Eden Park who'd never been to the park before. So it's brought a whole lot of new people, um, but also, you know, the diehard rugby fans of, you know, All Blacks and, and Super Rugby are now understanding that the women's game is its own special game. You know, it, it, we've got to stop comparing it to the men's game because it's not the men's game, but it's um, equally as exciting, if not more exciting, because the ball is in play longer than it is in a men's game. There's not so many interruptions. There's just, it's the way that the black friends are playing. You've got to admit, it's just beautiful rugby, eh? Yeah, it is. I mean, Wayne Smith uh, and the team have done a, a fantastic job because, you know, you look, what, the end of uh, season, about about this time last year, when the Black Ferns were up playing England and France up there, they lost all four tests uh, and yeah. they, they were outclassed. It was it was like they were playing a, a different sport almost compared to what we've seen them play now. I mean, how yeah. how's that transition looked for you and what do you think they are doing better now than they were a year ago? Most things. Um, I think, yeah, the trouble, of course, and what we've got to remember is they went into that that tour without having played any rugby for two years, where England and France had continued to play in the Northern Hemisphere. So they were on the back foot from the start, and as soon as they lost two to England, their heads were down, and, um, you know, there was probably no way they were ever going to beat France in the space that they were in. But, um, yeah, what, what Wayne Smith has done um, and by bringing other experienced rugby people into the Black Ferns environment and um, they're just, he's, he's seen the way that they play and he's encouraged them to play like that. He's given them free reign, really, to play um, exciting, fast-flowing, open rugby, um, which, when you think about it, you know, mm. Other teams in this competition really aren't doing. You know, they're very structured. These guys, I, I loved Kendra 
um, Kendall Cox said use the word chaotic or chaos for the way that they play and you know usually we'd think chaotic would be a bad thing but in this case it's a, been a great thing for them and I think they're hoping that you know the French won't won't know what's hit them when, when they go out onto the field tomorrow night um, it looks like the weather's going to be really really good the sun's out here now and it's supposed to stay like that which will benefit the Black Ferns game Um yeah, I'm just so excited for it. And and even, you know, England-Canada, the first game tomorrow night, is going to be a beauty. Um, you know, England obviously expected to win that, but, you know, Canada aren't thinking like that. They want to win it too. Yeah, I mean, the Canadians um, probably can match the Poms for the physicality, that's for sure, after having seen yeah. uh, what they did to that US team two games back-to-back. Yeah. I, I do, as someone who likes to have a punt, Suzanne, look at the TAB to see what they've got to say about things. And they've got the Black Ferns yep. at $1.33 and France at $3. Now, if I take the, the emotion of being a Kiwi out of that, I look at that and think, man, all the values in France. I don't know about you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'd have to back the Black Ferns all the way. But um, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, and and I've heard uh, with Clark talking the last couple of days about the Black Ferns' attitude to this game. And he reckons they've figured out how to beat them. He knows what to do. He knows it'll be, you know, a very, um, very much an aerial assault from France. But, um, you know, the the Black Ferns have structured their team to meet that, bringing Renee Holmes in at uh, fullback. Mm. And I think they're they're as prepared as they could be um, to take this French team on. And, you know, it's very hard, I imagine, not to look one step forward. When you're an athlete, you know, to think of that final. But um, right now, they'll be completely focused on France. Yeah, I think they will be as well. And I, yeah, I think I think you're right. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, the Renee Holmes move, I think, is good. It takes uh, Ruby Tui yeah. out of the firing line with that kicking game as well. So uh, mm. Mm, interested to see how it plays out and, and what sort of uh, that tells us ahead of a final potentially against England if they get past the French. Uh, Suzanne, thanks very much for joining us. I know uh, you've still got a bit of a tour of Eden Park to do, so we'll let you go <laughs> do that and look forward to seeing your story up on Locker Room soon. Excellent. Thanks, Ricardo. Thank you. Suzanne McFadden there with us talking Women's Rugby World Cup. It is seven away from 11. Love Racing Update next. Bo, on a windy night, the cake not much fun to be a goal kicker, but you can listen to us down there, 7.11am. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. couple of minutes away from 11 o'clock here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Pip Morris joins us from the TAB. G'day Pip, how you doing? I'm good Ricardo, how are you this morning? Yeah, good thanks mate. Good, are you excited for your uh, your Blue Panthers at the Rugby League World Cup when they take on Tonga this weekend? I absolutely am, of course I am. I'll, I'll support any of the boys in whatever team they're in, so looking forward to all of those quarterfinals uh, getting underway. Not much happening though in the betting at the moment. I think everyone's probably just waiting closer to start time. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think that's going to be the closest game, the hardest one to call, isn't it? Samoa Tonga? Yeah, I think so. Well, we just know what Tonga can do as well when they really put it together. And I, as much as I love Samoa, I wouldn't be surprised if Tonga won it, to be honest. Yeah, I well, yeah, I'm torn. I think Tonga probably beat them in the forwards, but Samoa have playmakers yeah. that Tonga don't have. Exactly, and we just saw that even with Ta- Ta'o and that coming uh, back on there and just really powering away, and, and Taylor May as well. So, look, it's going to be a cracker of a game, isn't it? Where the other ones kind of pick themselves 
Yes, but, thanks. Really, look on paper. Yeah, they do indeed. What's uh, what's happening in the TAB this weekend, mate? What are you what are you excited about? Oh, well, Flemington. I'm actually so excited about Flemington Champions uh, Champions Day. There, we've got the Champion Sprint, the Stakes, and the Mile. And I can't tell you on the betting there and the Sprint Nature Strips, the most money staked on him. But we've got the Kiwi Mare Levante kicking off her campaign, and she's got the most bets on her. And the Mile Race Number Seven, the Best Backed Private Eye. And race number eight, the championship stake. But no surprise to see the most money staked on Animo by a decent amount. But Mustang Valley, the Kiwi mare for Andrew Forsman, she's still taking heaps of bets. Most bets on her at $31. Rick we've got Cup Week kicking off with the 2,000 guineas on Saturday, Ricardo. And the best back there in the guineas is Pierre, followed by Prowess, the Philly and Dynastic, with Joshua Parr coming over from Australia to ride for Team Tiakau for the week. So that's really cool. And just quickly on the cricket, so head to head betting for the Black Caps is pretty evenly split there. Good stuff. 1476am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. At the moment, including the Rugby League World Cup, and joining us from SEN Australia is Scotty Sattler to talk that. G'day, Scott. How are you doing? Hello, Legends. How are you guys? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. And you, how's the uh, Rugby League World Cup uh, being, I guess, absorbed over in Aussie? I I, I always get the feeling, particularly around Sydney, that people aren't that bothered outside of the NRL season to follow things like International Rugby League. I think if it's it's local, um, everyone gets involved. And I suppose the time difference between England and, and, and our part of the world, Australia and New Zealand, it doesn't sort of doesn't sort of suit our hours, does it, to be able to sit up at 6 or 7 o'clock at night and watch the game. So it's one of those real catch-up World Cups where you wake up at 6 or 7 in the morning. There may be a game still being played at the back end of the game, but there's still a lot of interest over here, especially from a media perspective. Um, on Sports Day each night, we still have plenty to talk about, and a lot of the, the listeners still want to um, give their feedback. Uh, but it's always been always interesting World Cups. doesn't matter whether it's rugby union, uh, whether it's cricket, whether it's rugby league, whatever it may be. There'll be you know, one or maybe two upsets. There'll be some blowout scores. There'll be some, some talent that will emerge. Um, but outside of that, it's playing out the way that we always thought it would be. But this quarterfinal series that starts up this weekend, it's, um, it's run up a couple of pretty interesting matchups. There has. I'm looking. We'll, t- we'll talk uh, Tonga Samoa um, uh, later. I just wanted to uh, to bring up though the uh, the Kangaroos Lebanon. I mean, you, your boys should should walk this really. But it's interesting to uh, to have a look at the bench options, the interchange. Jack Wyden and Daly Cherry Evans there. No real big body on the on the bench with Patrick Carrigan and Ruben Cotter. So, uh, what did you make of, of the interchange that Mel named? It seems to be uh, it's more about speed than size. Yeah, I think he just wants to give his starting. Mel wants to give his starting front rows to try and play as long a game time as possible. Um, get some real match fitness under their belt, and many may say they should be match fit anyway. But it's just be able to get out long hours, uh, long minutes, I think, um, long periods of time. Uh, there's has been a lot of debate about Ben Hunt not being picked and your, your top 17 not being picked and not being decided on yet. And I don't think it really needs to be decided until the semi-final. Daly Cherry Evans is probably the interesting one that put on the bench to play hooker, halves. Uh, if a centre goes down, well, then they could they could move Cameron Munster out into the centres or they could put Jack White in there. I think that number 14 jersey is going to be be out of. Uh, it's going to be be out, uh, be out of uh, uh, Ben Hunt, yep. uh, Jack White, and Daly Cherry Evans. I think Nathan Cleary will nail down the number seven. But Cherry Evans, to be able to cover that 
that hooker position, the half position, move Munster out in the centre if you want. If Tedesco goes down, it goes down. They can move Munster to the fullback as well. So it's going to be able to carry multiple positions as opposed to Ben Hunt only being able to carry two positions. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, when Ben Hunt was selected for the squad at all, I was surprised, especially when Damien Cook was left sat at home. And, I, and I've kind of got the feeling that Mel was going to select Daly Cherry Evans regardless. Uh, maybe that's a, a bit of Marone bias. Maybe it's, you know, last time he coached his team was 2019 and he was the best half option kicking around. Yeah, many tend to think that, yeah, the origin, the win by Queensland plays a huge role, a crucial role. And it does, it does in a sense of combination. But they've been over there long enough to, to sort of understand each other's game and they're sort of living in each other's pockets every day, you know. So um, I, I don't think it comes down to combinations in origin now. I think it comes down to pure form and which player played the longest throughout the NRL season. And a lot of those are Penrith players, of course, and, and um, you know, South Sydney players and Parramatta players. So they're going to be the ones that are going to battle-hardened and match-worn. So... Now, I think Clear will get the seven, of course. Yeah, Munster holds down the six. And then that number 14 position, is, who has become a really important parcel of the game. Benny Hunt has tried and tested. You know what you're going to get with him. But sometimes they become the sacrificial lamb as well. Now, they look to other parts and they try and overcomplicate that number 14 jersey, whereas he's just your out-and-out number 14. He should probably play the number 14 because they've got enough around to, to fill those utility roles if they need to. It's interesting too, seeing Isaiah Yo being named in the second row, Cameron Murray being named at lock. Um, I, I kind of, I mean, Yo is a, is a great 13 for, for the Panthers, they're the premiers, and Cameron Murray for me just gives you a little bit more, uh, I guess, maybe a little bit pace, a little bit more ability to break uh, the defence on the edge. Are you, are you surprised to see them named that way around, or do you think it's just on paper and what we'll see on the field will be different? Yeah, it's probably just on paper. Um, if Nathan Cleary is a halfback, Isaiah Yo is always going to be the number 13. That's just what's worked for Penrith, and it's what's going to work for Australia as well. So, um, But Cameron Murray is one of those loose forwards. You just let him go. Let him roam around the field no matter what he wants to do. He can bob up on the right-hand side if he wants to. He can bob up through the middle of the field, where Isaiah will generally stay around the middle of the field. Wherever the play the ball is, Isaiah Yo won't be far away from it. And whereas... Yeah, Cam, Cam Murray's a little bit of a chameleon. You just need to turn into whatever landscape you need to. And um, It wouldn't surprise me if it plays out that way um, when the finals to the semifinals, and the final, if they get through to the final. But um, to be quite honest, it doesn't really make any difference, Ricardo, because they've all got different jersey numbers. So it doesn't matter where they line up on the, on the team sheet. It, it, it's not really telling you where they're playing. So It's, it's bloody you know, confusing, um, isn't it? Oh, I can't stand it. I hate it. I watched that first game, but I, I couldn't understand why Valentine Holmes is a dummy half so much. So I realised it was Ben Hunt. So, um, yeah, it's a ridiculous system. Uh, we used to follow that system back in the 50s and 60s where every every tourist had a number and you just played in that number. It doesn't matter what position you played. So I know it's. I love tradition. I am a traditionalist, but there's just some things you need to let, leave in the, in the past. And if you've got a touring number where you leave it on the jersey or the training shirt, whatever it may be, but... Now, if I'm Isaiah Yo and I'm going to make my test debut in a World Cup in jersey number 24, I'm a little bit disappointed. So, um, But I've got to say, I mean, the game against Lebanon, they should get through that one. Um, and that means they'll face, they'll face the Kiwis. The Kiwis will get through the quarterfinals as well. And the Australians, will, the Australians will face the Kiwis in the semifinals. And I think the winner comes out of that game. 
Yeah, I think so too, mate. I, to, talking about that Kiwi squad, I uh, scratched my head a little bit about uh, Michael Maguire, some of his selections as well. Um, I mean, Madge knows more about rugby league than I do, but for me, Sebastian Chris has been is probably the best centre he, he can call on, but we've got Britt Nakora and Isaac Leu playing in the centres in this game. Yeah, it's a weird one, but you know the coaches know what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're discussing this at length. There's a reason, there's a method to the madness behind this. Um, and maybe Sebastian Chris you know, is going that well, which he has been, that he's uh, he wants to hold him out till the semi-final. You know, there's, there's always that risk of losing some of your strike players. And Britton Nakora is a tremendous back rower. He'll play in the, in the semi-final no matter what. But uh, maybe you know, Sebastian Chris is one of those players who just wants he may have a niggling injury. We just don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And um, but I, I've got to say that the, the semi-final will be a, a great game. But the quarter-final, the matchup that we're looking forward to is uh, Senna Sibitau and also the Sibitau, the, the two uh, war dancers from Samoa and Tonga in that quarter-final. I mean, mm. Samoa have been the underachievers in World Cups for a number of years now. and They should have made a change to their coaching in Matt Parrish many years ago. They didn't. Uh, you reap what you sow. And they've been really disappointing in a lot of World Cups. Uh, a lot of players have come back from their from their campaigns underdone, overweight, and complaints of, you know, not a real professional approach to their rugby league. So I hope that's not the case for NRL clubs when they get their players back. But Samoa can make a huge can make a huge statement if they can knock off Tonga. But I think Tonga are just they're 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 just playing about third gear at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to somebody uh, earlier from the TAB over here about this matchup, um, and I think Tonga probably have Samoa in the forwards, but you know, Tonga have still got that problem. They haven't been able to find um, you know a couple of playmakers that can really make them tick, and Samoa do have that. I mean, that could be the difference. Yeah, exactly right. It comes down to the most boring facet of the game, which is the kicking game, and and Tonga. That's one area that Tonga hasn't been able to really. Really nail, as you said, Ricardo. So, um, but there are ways of doing it. You know, it's not about length of your kicks. It's just about being strategic with your kicking. And if you can educate uh, the two halves, um, Young Katoa, um, about the strategic kicking, um, well, that can that can play a huge role. But you know, Samoa, you can have the best halves in the world, but if you haven't got a forward pack that's willing to roll their sleeves up and and do the hard yards and and not think they're playing Harlem Globetrotter or rugby league. You win the, the the halves. You know, there's no use having the best halves in the comp. So, you know, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot that goes on between the years with the Samoan team when they get into camp. Um, yeah, for them, it's not about their ability. We all know they've got the ability to possibly win a World Cup Samoa, but it's um, you know their their products of their environment. Unfortunately, a lot of those players and. They've got to try and break that cycle soon, Samoan Rugby League. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, you mentioned Matt Parrish. I mean, we even heard, I think, after the first game of the tournament that Jeff Toovey's part of the backroom staff and there was a uh, apparently a, a bit of a groundswell that there was going to be a mutiny there and he was going to take them, take over halfway through the tournament and Parrish was out. That hasn't happened, but, man, there's there's a lot of a lot of leaks coming out of that dressing room and they're obviously not happy with the setup. No, we've had four players that have, that have um, tried to create a, like Tonga did, an invitational side that eventually overwhelms and takes over. Um, and there's current players that are actually in that squad that have, that have looked for change as well. Matty Johns and Andrew Johns and Sonny Bill Williams have said that they would coach the Samoan team for free. Um, Matty Parrish, Parrish has been the coach for a while. And what I do know in his defence, Matty Parrish, he has, from all reports, um, invited and introduced some very crucial commercial partners to Samoan Rugby League, which they need. They need the funding. 
So it goes a long way when you've got a, a person that's not only coaching but also trying to find you know, money to, to keep the program going. So he's done some very good things. Um, but I think it's about time. If they don't beat Tonga, I think it's about time. I think Samoan Rugby League are at that stage now where they've, they've got to make a change. What about the Poms? Uh, they, they were impressive against Samoa a first game out, but as you said, we don't know how, how much Samoa were really playing in that game. Uh, they take on PNG now. How much of a test do you think Papua New Guinea can give them? I think this is the real smoky game. I think they're flying under the radar, England, a little bit. No one really rates them, but they're playing on home soil. I mean, they've got the, the home crowd behind them. They know all those, those traditional grounds that they're playing at as well. Um, so I think they're a real smoky England. I think, you know, if, if they'll play either a Tonga or a Samoa in the finals if they beat Papua New Guinea. And there's a chance they could beat one of the, either of those sides as well. I was really impressed. I don't think it was more... I think it was more... Yeah, it was a little bit about Samoa not being psychologically ready for the game and thinking they were going to win that game against England early. Um, but I've, I've got to take my hat off to England. They were really good, really well prepared by Sean Wayne. He's a tough, old-fashioned coach. So, um, but Papua New Guinea, you've got to be willing to withstand a barrage for the first 20 minutes of the absolute physical brutality that they put you through. If you can get through that first 20 or 30 minutes, well, you should have enough experience to come over the top of them. If you get overwhelmed really early, the Papua New Guineans, or they get excited, and when the Papua New Guinean players, the Kumuls, get excited, you're in for trouble. Yeah, don't let them get their tails up, right? Yep, exactly. They're an exciting team to watch. They're most you know, the most empathetic and giving team in the, in the World Cup as well. They're just beautiful human beings. They're supporters. You know, they're, they're great supporters in the crowd and um, dressed up in, in full tribal gear. And it's just they just bring a great energy to rugby league. I love them. I've got to ask you, Scott, to remove that uh, that green and gold eye patch for just a second. Um, if the Kangaroos and the Kiwis do meet in the semi final, uh, looking at those two squads, which way are you leaning? Well, I am, in all in all fairness, I'm, I'm actually leaning towards New Zealand at the moment. Um, I think they're a lot more settled, and I'm just a huge fan of Michael Maguire. I, I just know what he's like as a coach. I know what he's like as a human, loves his players, loves working with players that have a lot of high energy and high performance, um, and love that, that high-octane, elite sort of status of the game. He works very well with those, those athletes. At this stage, I'm, I'm leaning towards New Zealand at the moment. I just think they're a little more, more settled in their key positions. And their forward pack, their forward pack's probably the best forward pack in, in World Rugby League at the moment. So, And they've got the halves to back it up. You know, Jerome Hughes is one of the best halfbacks in the comp in those key positions. Joey Manu's probably been the best player of the tournament as well. So at the moment, I'm, I'm hedging my best towards New Zealand. Yeah, mate, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out when those two teams meet, mate. Um, and Scott, you know, you, you talked up uh, Madge there, Michael Maguire. He is a, a you know a very good coach, as we've seen. It didn't go his way at the Tigers. That, I think, said more about uh, the back room at the Tigers and upstairs at the Tigers than it did about Madge. You expect him to land another NRL job before too long? Yeah, he's going back to Canberra as an assistant. Um, which I think is his role moving forward just for the next few years and, and just not be so urgent in getting a head coaching role. He's doing a great job with New Zealand. Just do that. And um, But I think if he can come on as some sort of coaching advisor to a to a rookie... I thought the Gold Coast Titans should have grabbed him, to be quite honest. Uh, Justin Holbrook, a, a young, inexperienced coach, really struggled last year and um, last season. I thought that Madge would have been great for him. Just for two years, bring him in, educate Justin Holbrook, bring that real hard edge to the playing group as well. Make a lot of those hard decisions that 
uh, Justin Holbrook does one of May, and then just float off into the sunset. And if another NRL position becomes available, but Michael Bogoy, like I said, you know, he works with really high elite players, you know, high performers, you know, the likes of your Inglises and your Burgesses and and yeah, those players that he had at South when they when they when they want to come. You you got to be willing to work really hard with Michael Maguire and he'll make you into a winner and he'll make you into a representative player as well. So and there's you know, there's only a few clubs there that are willing to go you know, that extra mile. So I hope he has fine success with Ricky, he's good mate at um at Canberra because he'll get another NRL job in the next five years. Yeah, definitely, mate. All right, good stuff. Scott, thanks very much for your time, mate. Enjoy the uh, quarterfinals this weekend. We'll catch up with you soon, eh? I'm heading back to Omaru for Christmas and I can't wait. First time in five years. Oh, mate. Well, you know, if you're if you're stuck in Auckland and you need someone to have a beer with, let us know. <laughs> Will do. I'll take up on that. Yeah, do, mate. <laughs> do. Scotty Sattler there with us. Uh, of course, his wife's a Kiwi out of... Omaru, as he said, or Wamaru. Uh, 19 past 11 here on SCNZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in the hot seat while he's at the T20 World Cup. When we come back, Greyhound Racing New Zealand, Sarah Clausen. She is the uh, Christchurch Greyhound Racing Club manager. She is up next. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. It's 11.24 here on SENZ, Ricardo in for Smithy, and uh, he is, of course, at the T20 World Cup over in Oz. Uh, you can catch live coverage of our T20 World Cup match between the Black Caps and Ireland right here on SENZ. Daniel McCarty, Grant Elliott with a call from 4 o'clock this afternoon. Joining us now from Christchurch Greyhound Racing Club is Sarah Clausen. G'day, Sarah. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good, good. Are you, are you going to be watching the uh, the cricket, the Savo? Or are you, you're going to be too oh. too busy tied up in the dogs? Oh, honestly, cricket bores me to death. I <laughs> 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 played it as a teenager in, in our um, school cricket team, but couldn't sit there and watch it. Sorry. <laughs> no. What, what was your What was your uh, skill? Were you you your bowler, or were you able to hit it out of the park? What was your What was your go to? Um, I was usually a bowler, yeah. I mean, I could hit it if I could, but <laughs> I definitely was a better bowler than better. Yeah, right. And, and did you give it a tweak, or were you, were you all about pace? Oh, yeah, no. Slower but more accurate was me. I mean, we weren't the best team in the world, but we all had a bit of fun. <laughs> oh, you a bit of the old Gav Larson, Dibbly Dobbly's put it on the spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice, Sarah. Hey, listen, we didn't get you on to talk cricket, although it's been a great cricket chat. We uh, we, we want to talk uh, dogs with you because you are the new manager at the Christchurch Greyhound Racing Club. How's that been? Oh, I tell you what, it's been pretty full on. I entered probably at the most busiest time of the year. We had AGMs, awards, and now the New Zealand Cup organised. So it's been a pretty busy time, but I've been really enjoying it. Baptism of fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now you got the uh, you, you mentioned the New Zealand Cup. Uh, you got the New Zealand Cup on Thursday night, so we're six days away. How's how's that all looking? What can people expect on the night? Yeah, it's, it's been really cool organising it. Um, obviously, having the semis and the heats of the stars on Thursday was really exciting. With uh, no keeper, I was actually just entering no keeper's new record on our website, so that was pretty exciting to watch. And uh, Thursday, yeah, so I've got 
a few bits and pieces going on. We've probably actually sold the most tickets this year than what we have other years. So that's pretty cool. There's over 400 tickets sold at this stage for trackside dining. And of course, there's, um, you know, spectators and the public can still come in um, in the main arena too. And um, we've got a few bits and pieces going on. We've got losing ticket draws, a $500 place bet um, on the night. And we have some of the rehoming agencies coming through with their retired dogs for people to get up close and do meet and greets with the actual greyhounds themselves. Wow, which is great. It's, um, uh, now, I mean, you mentioned over 400 tickets sold for the uh, trackside dining, which I think that's at the Silks Lounge, isn't it, on level two with the uh, refreshments and the buffet. Um, that's you, right. Have yep. you got we're, any, any more tickets available? Uh, there, we had sort of confirmed with Addington, Addington our numbers, um, but we have actually spilled over to Blossom Lady Lounge as well. So there's probably room for a few more if, if I can negotiate with Addington to accept a few more bookings. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure I'm sure they'll be happy. I'm sure they'll be happy. A uh, full house is always a good house. Um, in terms of, I, I know that you're you're, you're a mum um, of two, and you've been in, in and around dogs with your husband Matt for for a while, but what's it been like, uh, I guess, from managing the household and managing two kids to managing, I'd imagine, a bunch of trainers is like managing a whole bunch of kids, is it? Is it like you just, you just mum to a whole bunch more now? Is that how it works? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was really good for me. I, I knew most of the trainers prior to starting the job and you knew, you know, um, you know the staff and all that. So it's sort of like being my second home, I guess, in a lot of respects, prior to me taking on the job. And, um, yeah, there's a lot more responsibility. But, I mean, I must say, it's been really good having Matt, who actually understands, you know, if I tell him I have to go to work to do this or I need some time to do something, he actually understands the importance of it. And um, So that's been a really good, uh, yeah, balancing everything out. Else has been a little bit of a juggle at some stages, but Matt's just have, have, has had to take on the responsibility of caring for the kids a wee bit more. Yeah, that's called parenting, isn't it? It's called parenting. That's yeah. what that is. I, I have had that pointed out to me before when I say, oh, you know, babysitting the kids and like, no, the, when they're your kids, it's not babysitting, it's parenting. It's a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, no, Matt's been, I mean, with being in the Greyhounds, you know, obviously Matt and I, prior to me taking on this job, I was at, at home and Matt was often at home with the kids anyway. So the kids have been pretty lucky in the fact that they've had both parents around um, for a lot of the time you know, um, bringing them up together. So it's been a small adjustment for the children, but they've eased into it pretty well, really. Well, that's good, mate. That's good. Um, what's the biggest challenge you found taking on the managing role? The biggest challenge would probably be just making sure all the the daily tasks are completed and, you know, it's prioritising. There are important things that come up, you know, at the moment, obviously, doing the New Zealand Cup. So it's just juggling and making sure that you do the the most important things first and then still not letting the other things slip behind. Yeah, right. And uh, Sarah, I've got to ask you before we go, what's your poison these days? If we're going to buy you a drink at the bar, what are you drinking? Oh, probably vodka, lime and soda. Vodka, lime and soda. There you go, people. If you're going to be at the New Zealand Cup next Thursday, you see Sarah, she's going to be running around like a mad thing and you think she looks a bit parched. Vodka, lime and soda from the bar. Thanks very much. And go up and say thank you for her organising such a great event at Addington. Sarah, thank you very much for your time today, mate. Have a great weekend and best of luck next Thursday at the Christchurch Greyhound Racing Club, eh?
Yeah, cheers. Thanks, you too. Cheers. Sarah Claus in there from Christchurch Greyhound Racing Club. Uh, we also have uh, time to win a TAB $50 bonus bet uh, because it is time for Stumped. You want to play Stumped? Give us a call now. 0800 150 811. 0800 We'll play Stumped right after the latest in news and sport with Aroha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, he is top class. So is Ricardo, though, to be fair, filling in greatly, quite admirably, as you are, sir. But well, see how you go and stunt. $50 TAB bonus be up for grabs today. Boom. He's rubbing his palms. He's getting ready. He's got the gloves there. First at the crease, though, Lammy from Palmy. Come in, mate. Oh, oh, good morning, guys. How are you going? Yeah, good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, mate. All right. Well, you know how the game is played, mate. I'll get you through the topics if I can find them. Yeah, it's always uh, good to have topics. I know. I've been, uh, I've been running all over the place, mate. You know, just trying to, <laughs> trying to multitask like a madman. Uh, yeah, Lemmy, I mean, what are you going to watch this weekend in terms of sport? It's a massive, massive weekend. Yeah, I know. I know. But I'm going to watch uh, women's rugby, mate. Um, I love watching the girls, and they're going to win 13-plus. Ooh. I like that. Okay. It sounds like if you win, that might be where uh, your your bet yep. money goes. All right. The topics today are the New Zealand Breakers, football, and rugby. Take your pick. Ooh. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> God. Oh, uh, football. Oh, okay. <laughs> brave man, good luck. I oh, know, I oh, know. Taking on the man that hosts Phoenix Nation yep. every Thursday, 3 p.m. here on SNZ. All right, first question. Two people are tied for most goals in this year's Champions League with seven apiece. Can you name one of those players? Oh, God. <laughs> um... I know with Ricardo they listen probably knock me out because I really don't know, so Oh Marnie? Sorry, can you say that again? Marnie from Liverpool? Well, I forgot his name or whatever his name is, Marnie or Sadio Mane, he's now over at Bayern Munich. Yeah. One of the worst oh. things I have ever seen oh. done on a cricket field. Yeah, I just I just wanted to clarify there, right, Ricardo. Uh Erling Haaland? Yeah. Oh, that fella. Wow. One of the worst oh, things no. I have oh, ever oh. seen. Oh, he stayed in it, Lemmy. He stayed in it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I was looking for either Mo Salah or Mbappe. Oh, I was going to say Mo Salah too. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Anyway. All right. Second question for you, mate. One man stands above. One man. One team stands. Oh, no. Yes, one man. I should read the questions first, shouldn't I? One man stands above all in the A-League with five goals in the season. What team does he play for? Oh. Um. Melbourne City? That's not couple of chips now that we get right in the slot. I love how sheepishly you said that. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, because you didn't ask who it was. You just said which team does the top scorer play for? Yeah, I know. That's why I was a little bit confused by the question there. Yeah. But... <laughs> Yes, Melbourne City, uh, Jamie McLaren. Yeah, five goals going well.
course, I'm no doubt you had that, <laughs> but Lemmy. He's captain of my fantasy team and, 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 and my A-League fantasy team. Oh, there you go. Oh. But you're, st- you're standing yeah, well. tall amongst Ricardo here, Lemmy, so good on you, mate. Last question, $50 TAB, bonus bet up for grabs. In the EPL, one team sits below all on own goals this season with three. How tragic. Name that team. Oh, God, I wouldn't have a clue. Well, I think Ricardo knows, so I'll go... Um, well, I don't know. Just pick a team, mate. Stab in the dark. Okay. Oh, sorry, uh, Eastern Villa. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Yeah, uh-huh. Villa, not a bad guess. Ricardo. Yeah, that, that was actually, because I don't know the answer. That was going to be my guess. Mm. Was that still? Oh, 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 you probably get it now, Ricardo. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll most see, own goals, most own goals. I am going to go with, well, they're bottom of the league, so maybe it makes sense just to go with Nottingham Forest. <laughs> One of oh. the worst things. Oh, look at that. Let me get one. Let me. Yes. The uh, <laughs> the answer I was looking for, Brighton and Hove Albion. Ah, there you go. Three own goals. I Ooh. never would have guessed Brighton. There you yeah, go. eighth oh. place on the table, and they have the most own goals. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, Ricardo. Well done, mate. Well done, Larry. Yeah, it's the same time I've been in football too. It I is, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm your bunny when it comes to when it comes to football <laughs> quizzes. That's uh, a good fluke anyway, Ricardo. That's all, mate. That's uh, all. So, that's all. so are, are you going to put that $50 TAB bonus bet on the Ferns 13 plus on? Oh, yeah, Ferns and uh, Faithful. I'll be Faithful too. The All Blacks 13 plus, mate. Oh, really? Whoa. Yeah. yeah. I just, I just love the Olympics, mate. Yeah. Really no, fair enough, Lammy. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, mate, if those two come in, actually, let's have a have a quick check for you. I wonder what yeah. that, that that bonus is up at, or that multi's up as Wales. So you're going to go the All Blacks 13 plus. Yeah. Yeah, and then you want to go. Uh, where's the Women's Rugby World Cup here? Let me get that uh, lined up for you. Because I'd be interested to see what this pays, actually. Because, I mean, to be fair, I probably wouldn't put this bet on, but you seem confident. Mm. So, uh, mm. New Zealand 13 plus, All Blacks 13 plus, pays 4.94. So, mm. if you mm. put 50 on that, what does that come to? 50 on that uh, returns $247. Oh, imagine. Awesome. Lammy, you're laughing, mate. <laughs> Love it. Okay, have yeah, a great man. weekend, brother. Good to you guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Oh, another another satisfied customer on uh, Stumps, Logan. That's a great New Zealander right there. Yeah. Got to love. Got to love old Lammy. I hope he has a great weekend. It is uh, 21 away from midday. When we come back, Michael Guerin joins us. We're going to talk some harness racing. We'll talk the mail run. Might even talk a bit of thoroughbred with him as well. 16 away from midday here on SENZ. It is mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for him while he's away at the T20 World Cup. Live the dream. Get involved in harness racing today. NZ Harness Racing. Visit hrnz.co.nz. The host of Trot's Talk and the Mail Run, Michael Guerin, joins us. Uh, G'day, Michael. How are you? Ricardo, I'm bouncing, brother. I am feeling good because it's crossover weekend and almost... Of all weekends of the year for racing fans, this is almost the best. I'll tell you why. Because obviously we had the Melbourne Cup Carnival, which has been going on and it's been great fun. And it goes it goes to Saturday. So Saturday it ends with Champions Day tomorrow. But crossing over, we also start Cup Week 
in Christchurch. So we have two Cup Weeks going at the same time. Now, Cup Week in Christchurch has the Harness, the Gallops, and the Greyhounds. And we have this massive thing in Melbourne, and then it dovetails and we kick off into another one. So a couple of times in the past, Ricardo, I've actually been to both. I've done Melbourne, and then I've done Christchurch, and literally by the end of it, you're so dehydrated, you look like a potato chip. But it's great fun, as you know. The big carnivals are massive. And with the harness racing side of things, the big dance, the biggest of them all, is IRT New Zealand Cup Day on Tuesday. Now, the last two years, it's been just okay. Not really cool because of COVID. This year, the Australian horses are back. They bring the Australian people with them, the Australian eyeballs from across the Tasman, and we have the most competitive even IRT New Zealand Cup itself at 5.36 on Tuesday evening for the Morrick in the last 10 years. It is almost perfect, Ricardo. If the weather's good, they'll get 18 to 20,000 people there. They'll have a race we all deserve. And to be perfectly honest, uh, I don't have an idea who's going to win. I have some inkling, but there could be six, seven, eight winning chances, Ricardo. It's the race harness racing and racing fans have deserved after two years of getting what they didn't deserve Michael you say it brings the you know the Australian horses the Australian people the Australian eyeballs does it bring the Australian wallets I mean what is the dividend going to look like is it going to be that much different on many levels it's going to be enormously different first of all for, for punting it brings more doubt now when you have a dominant stable like Mark Purden, who's dominated this race the last five or six years, or in this race last year, there were only two winning chances, and therefore you can't, you know, you can't find value in a two-horse race. What we have this year are six, seven, eight, maybe even nine winning chances. So everybody has a crack, and that can sometimes be harness racing's weakness, as you have too many hot favourites. But what you have now is something more like a galloping race. There's a lot of races, and the markets are open. There's 13 races on Tuesday. Those markets are open. There's races there with 5 and $6 favourites, and that's massive for the betting. But more importantly is what it brings to the Christchurch economy. Now, some people don't care about this sort of stuff, but it's been bloody tough down there. You know, a wonderful place like the Square, where the Distinction Hotel is. It was a COVID hotel for two years, and no one likes COVID hotels. Now they're back open, and Ricardo, whether it's the cafes in the morning, and it goes for the entire week, because the Australians come for a long time, whether it's the the bars at night, whether it's the Ubers and the taxis, the impact of a carnival like this on a place like Christchurch is enormous. It's enormous. Now, I do a lot of travelling with the All Blacks, and Cup Week is worth significantly more to them than an All Black test coming to Christchurch for the weekend, because... You get an all-black test, you might go in Friday, you stay Saturday night, you leave Sunday. We've all done it before. This is a whole different kettle of fish. People park up in a hotel for the week. They pretty much go out for dinner every night, and dinner's not part of the all-black situation. Now, usually you're having a few beers at 4 o'clock, but it is massive, the impact on the economy. And it's one of the things we don't talk about a lot in racing in this country is how much it means to places like Christchurch for this week. It's their biggest week of the year, a hell of a lot of people are coming. They're going to spend a truckload of money. And Ricardo, 
we're going to have a truckload of fun. Yeah, mate, it sounds like you're going to have a truckload of fun. Actually, I was just talking to Sarah Clausen, the uh, Christchurch Greyhound Racing Club manager, earlier to, this hour. She said they've had more ticket sales for their trackside dining uh, than she can ever remember. So they've had over 400. They've had to expand and take over another lounge, which is which is massive, mate. It gives you, it gives you an idea. Well, I was down here for the ABs a couple of months ago, and people were ready for a party, but this is a different thing. I do a lot of work with them, and, and you go to an all-black test, and, and it's, it's quite a small experience. It's a massive experience at the time, but time frame-wise, you sort of get there at six, and you're gone by nine. This is a whole different kettle of fish. Like, I was talking to one of my television-presenting mates yesterday, and they said, oh, it's a female one, and she wanted to get her makeup done. She said, I rang the makeup people and said, can I get my makeup done? She said, we're booked from 5 o'clock to 10 o'clock in the morning. I said, 5 o'clock in the morning? She said, yep, our first customers are at 5 o'clock in the morning because there's ladies there who haven't had many parties to go to in the last two years. So how are we going to cover that on ECNZ is like this. Tomorrow morning, we'll kick off with the mail run, 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, with myself and Louis Herman what He's the boss. I'm just going to muck around and do what I'm told. Then we have the good oil tomorrow where people can get involved and have a bet. They also have the new Quaddy Crush, which is massive. Then pretty much every day next week where there's a race meeting, Louis's going to be part of that. He'll be there. I'll be on track on Tuesday Cup Day. So SDN has got you completely covered with that stuff. But on 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, Greg O'Connor and I are going to have an exclusive New Zealand Cup preview. We're going to talk to everybody who matters. 11 o'clock, SENZ on Sunday, you will get it right from the horse's mouth. You'll get our best bets, but you'll hear from the people involved, the Australians, Australians and the New Zealanders. But all during the week, Louis is going to be down there. He will be talking to literally dozens of people. So it's going to be fantastic. So SENZ has got you covered. The Quaddy Crush is up and running. It's going to be really cool. If you want to know more about the New Zealand Cup and you want to see it on TV and get the visuals, there's a thing called The Box Seat, which is our preview show, which we do you know, a really big job on. It's a meaty piece of work. It'll be on YouTube from Sunday afternoon. So anybody who settles in Sunday night, they fatten themselves up with a nice big feed Sunday, and they think to themselves, right, I want to know what to, how to handle this. I want to see how this all works. Just get on YouTube, the box seat. It'll be there for people to watch, Ricardo. Between all those things, Harness Racing New Zealand, the Herald, we're going to have you well covered. This is going to be a carnival covered the right way, but SENZ is going to be right in the thick of that. Good stuff, Michael. It sounds like uh, you have got your hands full this weekend. I appreciate your time, Sue. Go well and have a great weekend. Good on you, brother. Cheers. Uh, you can join Michael and Greg every Sunday from 11 for coverage of all harness racing action from across New Zealand. Trots Talk, thanks to all the great New Zealanders at Harness Racing New Zealand. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.